Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to December of 1997 for Volume 6 of this month's show. Six volumes for this month, Volume 1 takes the WCW, looking at Star K, Volume number 2 to the WWF, looking at In Your House, New Generation X, Volume 3 to ECW, looking at all the action in Philadelphia, Volume 4 to the USC, looking at UFC Japan, and Volume number 5 in our end-of-year review show. We're here in Volume 6, the all-important end-of-year awards. I'm being joined by Dan Welling. Dan, good evening. Good evening, sirs. Roy McNamara. Hello. And a good afternoon to Eric Landstrom. Bob, how are you? Very well, thank you. Right, a quick reminder of the uh, uh, the rules and the, the, the whys and the what falls for, for this format of show. There are 15 categories we're, we're voting on this year. I believe it's the same 15 we voted on last year. I don't think we've had any new ones in this time. I will go round the uh, metaphorical round table. People will introduce their nominations for a category. We'll discuss it for a bit, and then we will vote. In the event of a tie, either a two-way or a four-way tie, my vote will count double. We will jump straight in with our nominations for four feud of the year Dan kick us off Diamond Dallas Page versus Randy Savage The Hart Foundation versus Steve Austin and The Undertaker versus Paul Bearer and as always on this show I have to write things down very very quickly Rory I also have DDP Savage I've gone for Brett Austin specifically I also have just snuck in here USA v Canada and the small matter of Stingby Hogan. And Eric. Number one, I have Paul Bearer versus The Undertaker. Number two, I have DDP versus Savage. And number three, I have Bret Hart versus Vince McMahon. Hart oh, versus McMahon. Interesting. Well, can't be surprised I'm only the second person nominating Sting and Hulk Hogan. Uh, I've also got um, Bret Hart versus Steve Austin. And for a bit of a laugh, I've also got Shawn Michaels versus everybody. Uh, <laughs> just just because because that was one of the most competitive things this year. Uh, Dan, start DDP and Randy Savage. Yep, so I've also got to give props to Randy Savage, first of all, because he's the only member of the NWO who seems to be interested in putting anyone else over. Um, it did exactly what a few of the year should do. It got over the guy who's up and coming in DDP, made him a megastar. The only guy kind of outside of the big, the big guys who kind of made a jump to the main event and worked. They had some incredible matches. The match at Great American Bash at the foot of the, um, no DQ match stands out for me as excellent. And yeah, it just carried on really well. It was a satisfying payoff at, um, World War Three to an extent with DDP cutting Savage. Um, and also, it made some really good TV moments with uh, La Parker uh, doing the cutter on Savage and then revealing himself to be Savage, uh, DDP. So, just what all do you want from a feud, really, capsulating the year? Eric? Yeah, I, I can't put, say more than uh, much more than that, but I, I think it's really important to recognize that if you go back to our shows in 1994, 1995, DDP was not somebody that you and and the folks at that time uh, praised very mightily. And the praise for DDP has has grown over the years, but this is really the first year where we've really seen DDP become a potential star, and I think he is a star now. And the only way you become a star in wrestling is either to have great matches or to, to be put with other stars. And DDP is not a particularly great worker. He's fine, but he's not great. 
but he's been put with somebody like Randy Savage, who over the years we've seen him have great matches with subpar wrestlers like the Ultimate Warrior, and we've seen him have six-star matches with other great wrestlers like Ricky Steamboat. So Randy Savage has been able to get the best out of DDP. He's been generous. He gave a a win or two. Their matches have been competitive. I just think when you look at a feud between an old dog and, you know, a a proverbial new dog in DDP, someone who's on the way up, uh, I think their feud is exactly how it needs to be booked. DDP didn't need to win that feud to get over. He got over simply because the feud happened. Eric, talk about Undertaker and Paul Bearer. Yeah, and this is my big, this is my big uh, feud of the year. I think it's important to recognize that, you know, you mentioned Sting Hogan, and that's a feud that's been going on for 18 months, and the payoff was less than satisfying, was less than garbage, maybe even. And you look at the Undertaker versus Paul Bear, and they've been feuding for the same amount of time, basically uh, the same amount of time as the NWO versus everybody. And this is the only feud that's consistently delivered. It's had a consistent thread since mid-96 all the way through January where Paul Bearer cost Undertaker the match with Vader at the Royal Rumble, all the way through Undertaker winning the championship at Mania and Paul Bearer doing the reconciliation through the Undertaker's and murder uh, accusation to Midsummer to the Kane revelation in October. I mean, this has just been a consistent feud. And you look at Paul Bearer, someone who's not a wrestler and someone who I think is considerably underrated as a talker and as a manager. And he's basically carried The Undertaker to a relevancy to relevancy in 1997 when, other than a brief title reign, The Undertaker really didn't do much this year. He was kind of the vehicle to get other feuds uh, moving forward, particularly Hart, Austin, and, and Brett, or, and Michaels. So Paul Bear, this squarmy, this smarmy little, you know, heel manager has kind of kept one of the major characters, The Undertaker, relevant this year. And now we've got Kane, and it's looking like this feud's going to just continue into 1998. Well, tell Paul Bear, none of this is possible. Done. Again, like Eric said, this has been a year-long build. And unlike Hogan Singh, it had the most amazing payoff and debut of a character as part of the feud, which is of the year, and then not the decade, and Kane. Um, his promo that Paul Bear cut that revealed that Undertaker was a murderer in July, I think, was phenomenal. The Undertaker, again, burns Paul Bear's face off at um, uh, Revenge of the Taker. Again, a great moment for a feud. And it's just been ongoing. You know, it's been it's fluctuating. One minute Paul Bear's got the upper hand, then the Undertaker's got the upper hand. And although like you, they've not had a proper match together, the crowd goes bonkers whenever even the thought of Undertaker getting his hands on Paul Bearer um, comes into view, you know. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just been a great. And as I said, as Eric says, a vehicle to get Undertaker over even more so in 1997. And it's again, it's it's, it's added depth to the both the guys' characters. It's been a way to debut a character in Kane. Just again, as a perfect kind of wrestler versus manager feud and I think it's been excellent Roy I'll bring you in let's you know we, we all nominated some version of Bret Hart Steve Austin Vincent Mann etc etc um, talk talk me through what, whatever you're putting forward for in, in that segment well I've gone specifically for Bret the Austin here and that was a feud which effectively ended in the middle of April the day after uh, the Revenge of the Taker pay-per-view when uh, Austin put him in the in the sharpshooter in that 
supposed no-holds-barred match and sent Brett to hospital in the ambulance and beat him up in that. And I've just described why that feud was so wonderful. Because it absolutely, as if he needed any more making in the last six months, it made Steve Austin. And it was everything that Bret Hart needed. I don't think Bret Hart gets over as Mr. Anti-America if he doesn't have Austin there as a spoil. And the interactions between these two, they were golden. If you remember last year, we talked about in October 96, how Austin just killed Bret virtually stone dead in that picture-in-picture interview they did on that, that roar at the end of the month in October. They wisely didn't do anything like this again. They made Bret look like a threat, whilst at the same time he was still working out the kinks of his own heel character, as weird as that sounds. And we criticise Brett for anything he does not in the ring a lot on this programme, and a lot of it is justified. But I think certainly for the early part of this feud in 1997, he absolutely held up his end. And the whole Heart Foundation thing doesn't get any steam without the real Brett the Austin catalyst, so it has to be in this list. Yeah, I mean... Without it, I don't know what the WWF looks like this year. I know by the time you got to, like, you know, July and August, they'd, they'd got their shit in order regarding Undertaker, Paul Bear, Undertaker's brother, and Shawn Michaels was rolling whatever he was doing, and they'd kind of snowball into other feuds. Um, but, you know, we talk about WWF trying to stay afloat while they're being hammered by Nitro. Um, there was a run, and, and, and a fair bit of this creeps into 96 as well, but there's a run of about three or four months this year where this was the only interesting thing happening on Raw. Um, you know, and and it's been great watching Austin develop. It's been really interesting to see Bret Hart's interpretation of a heel character. Um, and not only has it spawned a lot of great moments, both directly within the feud and outside of it, um, it also contains one of the best matches you're ever going to see. Um, and, and that certainly makes it uh, a worthy contender. Dan, I'll come to you for, for your angle on, on, on this set of uh, categories. I agree with everything that you and Roy just said about like, the first four months of the year being all about Brett B. Austin. However, I still maintain, I think this carried over into about, almost up until kind of Survivor Series when, you know, Austin was still feuding with Bulldog and Owen for the tag titles with Sean and Dude Love being into, you know, replacing each other for, you know, his respective partners. He then was basically the main focal point as the antagonist of the amazing tag match at, at uh, Canadian Stampede. And then he has that obviously infamous feud with Owen. Um, which obviously had huge ramifications for Austin as a character. Um, so, again, it was incredibly entertaining. The guys had great matches until that infamous moment. And then, you know, the stuff about Owen having that T-shirt with Owen 316 says, I just broke your neck. That is, that was harsh. That was good. That was, if you want a feud starter and a feud maintainer, that was one of the biggest things you could do. Um, so I, I've, I've just, I've, everything you've said before is a correct... I've just extended it to include Canadian Stampede and the infamous Power Driver because they were such huge moments for the WWF in 1997. I think the problem with Hart McMahon or with uh, Hart Austin, Bret Hart versus Austin, is the fact that it did pivot mid-year to Owen Hart versus Austin. And in sports, when you have an all-star ballot and you got two players from the same team, uh, sometimes they'll cancel each other out and neither will make it. And I think in this case, what you have is you have two really solid feuds, Brett v. Austin and Owen v. Austin, split right at Canadian Stampede when they made that pivot all the way through really uh, 
Survivor Series when Austin and Owen had uh, an angle where Austin captured the belt. But I don't think for a feud of the year, I take that word year very seriously. And, and this is a situation where you have two others, DDP and Savage, Paul Bear versus Undertaker, that on screen carried through the entire year and both paid off really well. I don't know that Austin and Brett ever had a really satisfying payoff. I don't know if you count the WrestleMania matches, the payoff, since they went on to have two more matches where they were involved with one another. Um, I don't think that feud ever really had a great payoff. And then Austin Owen, through no fault of either guy, didn't have a satisfying payoff either. And so I think you have to look at a feud from soup to nuts. And I don't think either Brett v. Austin or Brett v., uh, or uh, Owen v. Austin had that continuous, long, uh, feud that ended with a satisfying result. I'll say my piece very, very quickly on Shawn Michaels versus the world. Um, it's, it's just, you know, maybe it's not a few, but watching Shawn Michaels fight with himself and fight with anybody else is really fun to watch. Just watching Shawn Michaels become an ever-increasing dick with just about everyone else he touches um, is really entertaining. Shawn Michaels is really compelling as an act. Um, and yes, I feel like he deserves a mention, even though I can't really put my finger on one specific feud or program that he's been involved in. Um, Roy, we'll come to the final part of this uh, this vote. Um, Sting and Hulk Hogan, uh, I, I think if there's a an MVP category, if this was being done on drawing power, on on money, on a lot of metrics that are decided how good a feud is, uh, this is going to be top of all of those. Yep, they managed to make a feud which they wanted to last a year, last almost a year, 49 weeks until it all went to cock. And I cannot overlook that. So just listen to the WCW show this month. I do not overlook it. It should not be overlooked. But... They got 95% of it right, carrying WCW Nitro virtually on its back a lot of the time when they couldn't rely on the standards of their in-ring workers. It was the feud everybody wanted to see. It had twists and turns, believable twists and turns. No, I didn't feel like they were just holding off just for the sake of it. I mean, what builds do we see like this in pro wrestling these days, which lasts an entire year? Everything is always hit the next pay-per-view, hit the next pay-per-view, hit the next pay-per-view. And I would not have blamed them if they'd done that here and struck while the iron was hot. But they just kept somehow managing to turn up the heat. And even though they hit the wall too early and how, I have to give them all the credit in the world for getting so much of it right when it could have just fallen apart instantly. It really, really didn't. Yeah, we talk about WCW being runaway train this year. We certainly have on a couple of shows this month. Um this has been the feud. It certainly hasn't been the NWO for all of the upsides and some of the, some of the great wrestling talent in, in WCW. The thing that's driven most of the hype, most of the ticket sales, most of the ratings, most of everything for good or for bad, for as, as many weaknesses as this um, feud has had. It's been Sting and Hulk Hogan. Um, wrestling is all about creating matches that people want to see. And I don't know that we've seen a better example in this project that we've done of creating a match that people wanted to see than Sting versus Hulk Hogan. Now, you know, how much you want to put against that, what happened at the pay-per-view, I don't know. But if we're talking about feud of the year, and I'm looking at the first 360 days of the year, it's it's very difficult to argue. Uh, Dan, your vote for feud of the year. Purely for the matches and the moments. Hearts versus Austin. Rory. Sting Hogan. 
Eric. You can't say a feud is good for 360 days, and then when it craps all over you in the last five days, vote at the best. Paul Bear versus The Undertaker. I'm going with Sting and Hogan, uh, which will take that to two. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm always going to lean on drawing power when, uh, when all other metrics are in play. Anyway, moving on next. This will be interesting. Tag team of the year. Eric. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> this should be shorter than the first one, at least. I, I actually have four, uh, believe it or not. Uh, wow. And, and really in no particular order. Uh, Harlem Heat. Uh, Bubba and Devon Dudley, uh, to the extent that they are a tag team and not a stable. Uh, Billy Gunn and Jesse James. Uh, and then Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. Rory. I have my exact words here are the outsiders by default and nobody else. So there you go. <laughs> Dan. I think you might want to retract your statement about it being this segment being long, Bob. Uh, the Dudley Boys. The Eliminators and the Steiners. Yeah, um, I did say to Rory earlier. My temptation was was I was just going to say that Hall and Nash had stolen the award, and then we'd move on. Um, <laughs> alas, no. Eric, rattle through quickly because I don't want to spend ages on this one. Rattle through your uh, your, your nominations because I think we can all agree this has not been an easy category to put anyone together for. 1997 has been one of the worst years for tag team wrestling that I can remember, and I've been watching wrestling for most of the 90s. Um, so uh, Harlem Heat, I think you look at them and you think, what is a tag team, and can you see improvement and cohesion and a team that really you can look behind and see, uh, are they better now than they were then? And you look ahead and you think, boy, the sky is really the limit for these guys. And I think when you look at the cohesion they've had and they've They've really been buried, and I hate to use that term, but they've really been buried by this, by the outsiders and the Steiners. Endless, endless, endless feud. Uh, I think Harlem Heat is tag team of the year on potential alone, uh, because they've been the most consistent, in my opinion. Um, the Dudleys, I think if you watch ECW over the last six months, I don't think there's much of an argument there. They're really the only consistent tag team that delivers night in, night out in that promotion, considering that the Eliminators haven't really been a thing for six months. Uh, the FBI is a comedy tag team. Candido and Storm have just gotten together, and basically every other tag team that was part of the promotion early in the year is gone. Um, Billy Gunn and Jesse James, again, very similar uh, uh, to the Dudleys in that they really didn't make – they weren't together for the first half of the year. The Dudleys were, but – in the last three or four months, you can really see that they've kind of gotten themselves over and they've kind of taken uh, themselves out of the scrap heap into relevancy. And then Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels, strictly because they probably had the best tag team match of the year when they won the tag team titles on Raw back, I think it was in June. So go back and watch that and tell me that, that they don't deserve to at least be mentioned on this list. Dan, same question to you. I'll just rattle through your uh, your list. Uh, I would say name me a single good Harlem Heat match this year, uh, Eric. I'm sorry, you cut out there. Name me a single no, good I'm Harlem sorry. Heat match. <laughs> My point about Harlem Heat was that whenever they're on Nitro, and especially with Booker T, whenever they're on Nitro, whenever they're featured, you can see that there's potential there. But the fact that the Steiners and the Outsiders have kind of been clogging this division like a drain um, for the past 12-plus months – uh, you really have to look past a specific match just to see what the most uh, consistent tag team in WCW has been. 
So I would say the most consistent tag team has been the signers. I mean, in a in an alternative universe, there's an amazing story here where the obviously best tag team in WCW, aka the signers, uh, walk through the entire WCW tag team division to get a finally get a title shot against the team who has been avoiding them for the entire year. And again, you're trying to go, oh, this is another number one contenders match. They win that. This is another number one contenders match, and they win that again. They beat all the tag teams in the division, Public Enemy, Harlem Heat, Cho, No and Co. All these guys, you know, the signers beat. They finally get a shot at the outsiders at Very Wild. They pin them clean in the middle of the ring and cap off an amazing run to the WCW tag division. And if it wasn't for politics and, you know, machinations, the signers would be seen as the, one of the most outstanding tag runs of the year. Obviously, things got in the way, but I still think that run they had, clogged, you know, I don't think they clogged at the division. I just think they just showed that they were most pushed, the most um, capable tag team in the in the uh, company this year. And, and uh, they survived and, near death in a car crash in February. Exactly. See, um, I think Eliminators did more in six months than majority of the tag teams this year have. I still think that Cronus and Saturn were by far and away the biggest, you know, selling feature of ECW for the first half of the year. The matches with the Dudley Boys, the matches with RVD and Sabu. Um, were fantastic. Just again, amazing tag team, and I still think they should be deserved to be nominated, especially considering Austin and Michael's got a nomination for Eurohig. Um, and the Dudley Boys, I just think that they've, you know, gone from a comedy tag team with, you know, particularly Bubba Ray to being the some of the most hated people on that entire ECW roster by being the most crass and, you know, downright horrible people that you could ever see in wrestling, but. At the end of the day, tag teams are some of the most featured acts in ECW, and they are main eventing shows right now. And for me, you've got to take that into consideration because this has obviously been a very poor year for tag team wrestling. But if one of them, if you do the most featured act right now is getting that much heat over and putting on decent rules, which is what I don't think the outsiders have done this year, which is why they're not on the list for me, I think they deserve nomination. Roy, they kind of made up their own belts after losing them and I, I kind of feel like they're gonna they might end up hijacking this vote as well. Talk to me about the outsiders. If I must. Um okay, talk to me about the outsiders. Okay. Yes, they're still the champions I think. And they called the Steiners the Einsteiners once or twice. So there you go. Wordy winners in my book. Yes, you can tell that uh I've been I really did struggle on this category and I'm not the biggest tag team fan anyway. I'm kind of the anti Craig or the pro Eric Bischoff in this respect. One way or another. Uh, Rory, your votes for Tag Team of the Year. Yes, the most grudging vote of all outsiders. <laughs> Dan. Steiners. Eric. Deadlies. That's me and Rory again. Uh, yeah, for... Oh, I'm not liking this, come on. <laughs> no, I'm not either, because I've got a feeling we're going to line up on a few others down the stretch as well. Uh, yes, um, for, for, for a, a very, very low bar this year, you know, the, there have been previous years of genuinely quite a lot of competition, but uh, yeah, the outsiders by default. If anything, just to keep up the credibility of the award, like I kind of want to set up, this is the waterline, you've got to reach at least this level to be worthy of nominating in this category. Uh, so yes, our tags are the year scott hall and kevin nash we'll move on to non-wrestler of the non-wrestling act of the year eric uh so uh, in no particular order again i've got mike tenay kevin green and paul bearer oh kevin green interesting and paul bearer rory 
Okay, I think we might do it here while we're last. I've gone for my three are JJ Dillon, Mike Tanay, and Francine. And Francine, Dan? I've got three complete. Uh, Bill Alfonso. Ooh, 1995 called, wants his vote back. Yeah. Eric Bischoff, <laughs> Paul Bearer. Eric Bischoff and Paul Bearer. Um, I'm amazed. I am amazed no one has said Vince McMahon. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. call me surprised. Although, admittedly, I, I literally stuck him in as we went on air, I will admit. I've also nominated Eric Bischoff, and I've also nominated Francine. Uh, right, forgive me, because I've got a big long list, but I can't remember who said who. Uh, Roy, I'll come to you first. Pick, go through, uh, go through your three names. I'll go to my three. We've got, we've got JJ Dillon, who I think has been, again, I've used this word once, but it's so, so important, foil. I think Bischoff is a great heel, but I'm still not sure he's developed as a heel enough quite to make this list. Dylan was brought in in the middle of the year, and he really could have sunk, but he has swam. The fact that, and you really need to know your history here, but the fact that he was such a conniving heel manager of the Horsemen 10 years ago actually makes him a perfect babyface commissioner. Now, he knows the tricks of the trade. He is aware of what these you know, sneaky, conniving bad guys are going to do, and he's one step ahead of the game. And he's always there on the mic to tell them, but he's never knowing about it. Whereas over on the other channel, you've got Sergeant Slaughter, who's playing a similar character, who was also a horrible bad guy in the 80s. He comes across as a bit smug, but Dylan is an official without being officious, and I really do enjoy hearing him. Mike today missed my list last year, but he makes it in this year because he's still the geeky guy who knows all about all, you know, whatever the Mexican wrestlers eat for breakfast and all that. But he has also taken it into being able to be a main event style commentator. He gets the angles over. He gets the characters over. Yet he can still actually call moves. Whereas I think Jim Ross, who got my award for that reason, or nomination for that reason last year, has kind of stood still. I think today has taken that ball and he's run with it. And Francine, I mean, you guys know I'm not the world's biggest fan of Shane Douglas. I think he's... I don't like the word overrated, but I don't like him. So he's overrated in pretty much every facet. I don't think he gets anywhere near to his level if he doesn't have Francine with him. She plays a perfect chicken shoot heel. She is, as we've seen, not afraid to, no, okay, let's not, not to put a final point in it, get her ass kicked on a weekly basis. And as we saw in November to remember, she actually plays an amazingly good Babyface as well, when Douglas was faced for the day in his hometown or near his hometown. Now, she actually brought some real sympathy and empathy to the character. So, yes, I think she's been great this year as well. She really does deserve her shout. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in early for once here on, on, on the Francine front. I mean, I, I don't think ECW is going to be mentioned a lot during this show, which is, you know, there's perhaps something to be said about that full stop. Um, I think Francine's been one of the better, most consistent, most entertaining acts, and I think we we saw that last month uh, in, a, in a pair of promos, really, like the... The, the promo that she cut in, you know, her and Douglas cut in Philadelphia at the beginning of November, whether these Uber heels as they have been in places like New York and, and she's been a real addition to that act. Um, and then they go to, you know, well, just southeast or wherever it was near Pittsburgh. Um, Bischoff's, uh, Bischoff, uh, Douglas is this big over baby face and she's by her side. Um, you know, she's been a, very entertaining, very consistent act on a show that hasn't always been entertaining. 
and he can, certainly has not been very consistent. Um, I'll mention Vince McMahon. Very surprised he didn't come up. Um, we talk about evolutions of characters and we talk about the, the offshoots of the, everything that spun around Bret Hart and Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. Vince McMahon's been as big a part of that as any. Um, you know, and, and some of it's more just interesting rather than anything else in terms of the way Vince plays off of Shawn Michaels. There's a lot of things to do with that. A lot of things to do with what happened last month and what happened as a result of that and where this month where Vince McMahon seems to be taking that character, how he was able to play off Bret Hart a lot and the, the mechanics behind all of that. Um, I think his evolution from just boring on-air commentator to kind of pseudo-owner of the company slash interviewer slash sort of heel, it's been very interesting to watch and one of the many reasons why WDF has been consistently fairly entertaining this year at times. Uh, well, maybe not consistently, but there we go. Um, and my third nomination, Eric Bischoff. Um, there's certainly not negatives, and I know I talked about him last year. Um, he does go on a bit, and it's a bit painful watching him blow smoke up Hulk Hogan's ass every day. Um, but he's consistently been very, very good. And I spoke on, on the WCW show this month about the, 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 the kind of feud between him and Zabisco going in the Starcade and how that really never had any right to work. It works to a, to a large extent, I think. Whether it paid off at the pay or not, I think is another question. Um, Dan, I think you've, uh, I think you nominated Bischoff. Talk about Bischoff and your, your, your other, your other nominations. Yeah, I think that, you know, you talk about there Vincent Mann having like kind of evolution of a character. Well, Bischoff has kind of like just perfected that greasy or punchable face, you know, kind of owning the company who is too slug for his own good and just wants to rub in our face, you know, the fact that he is best friends of Hulk Hogan. He is best friends with the, most powerful man in wrestling, supposedly. Um, and as you said, he, he managed to draw so much heat for a guy who hasn't wrestled in 10 years and, you know, really had no right to work at all. Uh, the other two guys on my list, Phil Alfonso, I've not been on the show for the last two years, so good God, he's still an annoying prick with that fucking whistle. Um, and you want to talk about getting your ass kicked as a, you know, as a heel manager. That blade job that he'd had against Beulah McGillicuddy is one of the most disgusting yet admirable things I've ever seen in my life. The guy just knows how to work, just knows how to get heat. And just because he has been around now for two years doesn't mean I think that we should exclude him because newer acts have arrived. Like, you know, Bischoff and McMahon. To be honest, this guy had set the bar so high in 1995 that the guys have just caught up with him, but he's still there. I think he deserves to be nominated. Uh, and I've already talked about Paul Bearer before with stuff about Young and Taker. The promos that he's been cutting um, since the turn of the year, either kind of being the antagonist of the Undertaker um, with the murder promo and then being the mouthpiece for Kane has been incredible. You know, the guy's so underrated as a promo talent and he has been instrumental in getting the Kane character consistently over... Um, and building up this match with Undertaker, which will eventually happen in 1998, is, he's been incredible. And I, I just think that he is incredibly underrated as a promo, and he's been part of one of the feuds of the year. So again, he should be nominated. Eric, start with Bear, and then work the way down your list. Yeah, I, I, again, I talked a lot about Bear probably too much uh, earlier, uh, but I'll just ask a couple of questions. Where would Mankind be without Paul Bear? Where would Glenn Jacobs, the the wrestler, or the Kane, the character, be without Paul Bear? Where would the freaking Undertaker be without Paul Bear? Look at what the Undertaker did in 94, 95, 96. It was pretty bad. He needed Paul Bear 
to light this fire, no pun intended, and The Undertaker has been uh, reborn into a super relevant character. Um, Mike Tenay, I, I think he's just the best color guy in the business. He's the only true color guy that WCW and WWF put out there. Um, and then Kevin Green, I think it's just important to recognize that WCW on multiple occasions this year really hit home runs with non-wrestling talent coming in and wrestling matches. Dennis Rodman and Kevin Green are, are kind of the two best examples. And I just think Kevin Green, it's easier for a non-wrestler to come in and cut a promo. It's much more difficult for a non-wrestler to come in and look like they've been trained for five years and have a pretty decent match. I mean, he drug Mongo through a good match, and Mongo's the trained wrestler, for crying out loud. So he's not going to win this category, and I don't think he should, but I think we should all recognize how stellar Kevin Green was uh, when he was in the ring. Eric, your your vote for non-wrestler of the year. Paul Bearer. Dan. Paul Bearer. Rory. Oh, dear. Mark Tanay. Um, I'll go with Eric Bischoff. So, Paul Bearer. Cheers to you, Dan. It. And, uh, yeah, perhaps after the, uh, perceived injustice of the, uh, the first one, Paul Bearer gets the, a little bit back for that. Right, a, uh, well, what he theory, it should be a very long discussion. There could be a lot of, uh, a lot of nominations. Uh, worst match of the year. Rory, you're our resident expert on these. Kick us off. <laughs> oh, I think the phrase is dubious honour. Right, okay, for those who don't know, I'm actually compiling for the website a list of 20, that's two zero worst matches of the year. And that It'll be 40 next year, so, yeah, you know. Some, you know make, make hay while the sun shines, sir. And that might well change by the time we eventually you know, drag myself through doing it. For now, here are my five. And I've got these in <laughs> chronological order. It's like a five. Five. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I could have the whole 20. Right, here we go. Right, knock yourselves out, guys. Here we go. I've got Conan v. Hugh Morris from the Great American Bash. I have Hogan v. Luger from Road Wild. I have DOA versus the Truth Commission from Survivor Series. Oh God, that was shocking. Oh God, I've got the World, I've got the World War Three match, and this might surprise you, but if it's worthy, 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 from November to Remember, I've got Rob Van Dam versus Tommy Dreamer. Interesting, Dan. I've got Big Bubba versus Hugh Morris in the Mexican Death Match. Which show was that? Sold out. Oh, Jesus. Right. <laughs> That'll come up again. Crush versus Farouk versus Savio Vega from Ground Zero. Oh, God. God. <laughs> this this category really is just a lot of bad memories coming from well, You're all giving me a lot of grist in my 20s, so keep going, yeah. Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus Lex Luger from Road Wild. Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus Rowdy Body Piper at Halloween Havoc. And Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus Sting at Starcade. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think you can nominate a match that ends in a guy getting run over by a motorcycle. I, <laughs> I, 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 I struggle with that one on a on conscientious level. Uh, Eric. We've got ten nominations so far and only one crossover. Uh, I also had Piper versus Hogan from Halloween Havoc. But then Conan versus Rey Mysterio from Road Wild. And Bob, this one goes out to you. Savio Vega versus Rocky Maivia from Raw, April 14th, 1997. Oh, 20, Christ, that was... 20 minutes of rest holds. Oh, God, I just... Uh, I just <laughs> oh, so many bad memories flooding back. Um, 
I, I also have Conan versus you, Morris. I, I watched that show that match two hours ago. It didn't get any better on second viewing. Uh, I've got Hogan versus Sting from last month, and I, I did describe it as one of the worst matches I've ever seen. I've got Patriot versus Hunter Hershelsey versus Savio Vega from Raw. The match, I'm if so you recall. The, uh, the, the the main event that ended up with boring, boring chants throughout. Um, we're not going to discuss all these. Fuck it. Uh, Dan, uh, your your votes in this category. Hogan v Sting, Starcade. Eric. Uh, Savio Vega versus Rocky Maivia. Rory. Conan versus Hugh Morris, because a match that bad should not be allowed on the world. <laughs> I'm, I'm conflicted here. Um, uh, Patriot versus Hunter versus Savio. We'll, we'll split it. Um, you know that that was a main event of a television show. Like the rest of these were all well. Some of them were main events of pay per views, I suppose. But some of these were just buried in the middle of shows. The main event of a TV program from actually that shit. Um, Why really was the takes... bloody main event of the biggest pay per view of the year? Um, because that that sucked because of the shitty finish. Like no, the, it, wasn't. it was such a shit match. It was also a shit match. Yeah, but it, if they'd have got the finish right, the match wouldn't have been thought of shit. But you know, we're we're splitting hairs here. Anyway, that's my. Uh, we'll, we'll split it. We'll call that a four way tie. I, I, I normally think, say, but oh, that's so cool. I think what's important is that Savio Vega wins the title. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yes. 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 Savio wins the award for just your general excellence in bad matches. Stay tuned anyway. to the website for why I think RVDB Dreamer sucks so much. There you go. Okay. There's a little we'll, for you. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to that one. Uh, moving on to, this will be a bit different, best show of the year. Dan. Okay, I've got uh, two ECW shows, Barely Legal and As Good As It Gets. And then Canadian Stampede. Okay. Not expecting those two. Good as it gets. And Canadian Stampede. Eric. Uh, I've got Bash at the Beach. Russell Palooza. And Canadian Stampede. Was not expecting so much diversity, Roy. Okay, I've got Slambury. I've also got Canadian Stampede. I also want to throw in as an honourable mention because I want to try and keep pay per view. But twenty second of September, Raw, and I've got Halloween Havoc. Uh, I have Canadian Stampede. I have Full Brawl, and I also have Halloween Havoc. Uh, Dan, we'll start with ECW between yourself and uh, Eric. Uh, I watched both of those shows. I'm a bit surprised that you put those uh, in for that. Um, talk me through those those nominations. Okay, so it's just purely the taste. As good as it gets was what I really enjoy wrestling. Those are spots. Those are high spots. I thought the Candido Lance Storm match was excellent. Um, I enjoyed Bam Bam Bigelow quite a bit. Um, the Beulah and Bill Alfonso bloodbath was just that entertaining that it was one of those matches where personal enjoyment really highly outranks the actual match quality and it just felt fresh it just felt like it was ecw going into the, the kind of latter third of the year fresh with new ideas and it wasn't you know all the kind of long feuds sort of had been wrapped up and it was just something fresh going into the final stretch of the year uh barely legal again for this is more for overall kind of like getting to the 
the promised land, as it were, for ECW. I think they did really well in just making it feel like a big occasion. Um, the matches with the um, drag, uh, not the Michin- Michinoku Pro six-man tag was excellent. This, again, I love Cruiserweight. This was loads of Cruiserweights flying around. RVD and Lance Storm was excellent. Taz versus Sabu felt like a pay-per-view worthy match, worthy of being ECW's first um, pay-per-view. And although the actual matches themselves weren't that good, the Terry Funk finally winning the ECW title did feel like a good moment for ECW fans closing out the show because they built to it so much um, in that first third of the year. I will come back to you on Canadian Stampede at the end. Eric on the ECW theme, Russell Palooza. Yeah, Bob, this is a show that you had me watch for the website and write a little review, and you can find that at wrestling20years.com slash blog slash ECW WrestlePalooza97 review, just for those of you who are interested. But anyway, um, this was I've watched a lot of ECW this year, and I've appeared on the show quite a bit in the second half of the year, and this was just the strongest ECW card of the year, in my opinion. You had great wrestling with Shane Douglas versus Chris Chetty. Uh, the Dudleys and the Sandman and Balls had just a, a, a crazy ass brawl. Sandman and Balls looked great together. I kind of wish they'd stuck together as a tag team. Uh, Dreamer and Raven had their blow off and it was booked just absolutely stellarly. And then you had your Jerry Lawler in ECW and you had Taz cut an amazing promo and then Taz wins the, uh, television title. And then at the end you have Saturn in a freaking whole body, in a whole leg cast coming off the top rope to win the match for the Eliminators against the Dudleys. Just a crazy-ass show, and I think the one show this year that ECW kind of got everything right, except for the Terry Funk-Chris Candido match, which was technically fine, just booked really poorly. Eric, Bash of the Beach and Slambury, two WCW shows that don't particularly stand out for me. Go through those. Yeah, and, and I didn't, I didn't, I kind of looked at Slambury too. I think I even appeared on that show and it had my boy Piper up in Alcatraz. And that wasn't a show that stuck out for me as much as Bash at the Beach. And for me, Bash at the Beach was one of those shows where there wasn't really one great match that stuck out. And really, if you want to go through it, you can find a lot of warts. But like I think you're going to say about Halloween Havoc, there were, the show was entertaining from the beginning to end. There were really no truly bad spots. The spots that were bad, I think there was a trios match that was just atrocious. Uh, but even even Ric Flair and Roddy Piper had a 10-minute match that would, would be fine on any card in 1997, believe it or not. So that was just an example of WCW at its best, where it has no great matches, but it's consistent for three hours. Yeah, I may have fucked that up. Roy, did you vote for Slambury? Uh, Slambury, my pick, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, go, go, start with that, Roy. That's fine, because um, the first WCW show I was on this year was the show for uh, Great American Bash. And I said as my intro for that pay-per-view, how, what a strong year it had been up until that point on PPV for WCW. And I think Slambury was the best example of that. You had your top-class workers on there bringing the goods, likes of Regal, Dragon, Prince Ray. Prince Obviously. <laughs> Here the boring chance. You had um, all, all the big workers actually brought it. And at the end, you had that amazing feel-good moment of the team of... Flair, Piper, and the greatest living human being on earth, we all know who that is, defeating the NWO cleanly in the middle of the ring. And just listen, go back and watch that event, just listen to the crowd. There, just once, just once, they closed a pay-per-view by delivering on what people wanted to see. What was already a very good event, top to bottom, was capped perfectly, the absolute cherry on the icing on the cake. So again, it's a show that a lot of people might have forgotten, and I can understand that, 
especially as what's happened with WCW versus NWO since then. But although it won't get my final vote here, I do recommend people recheck out Slambury. It's a good show you might have missed. Uh, Roy, you, you're just left with Canadian Stampede, right? I've got Havoc in there as well. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come to that in a sec. Um, I mentioned for Full Brawl, I just thought one of the better, you know, more watchable pay and there haven't been that many this year. Let's be very, very clear about that. WCW have had generally good undercards, generally shit main events. WWF have had generally shit undercards, generally very good main events. Um, Full Brawl was just one of those very watchable, very consistent shows. Maybe if it wasn't perfect, not a big fan of war games, but it, you know, it did, did what it set out to do. Um, uh, uh, me and Rory are going to have a, a 67 love it on Halloween Havoc I think um, this is this for me is just the show like in terms of just like give me good wrestling give me crazy shit give me entertaining shit and give me just a completely stupid main event with a 44-year-old man with ankle problems throwing himself off a 20-foot-high cage, and then a, a completely inexplainable angle involving a fan and a completely fucked-up video referral decision, and just the most insane finish I've ever seen involving Goldberg and Steve McMichael. Um, how do we have why I watch wrestling? Crazy shit. Rory? Havoc was and always will be absolute fucking nuts. And... If you go back and listen to the show that we were on, just, just our program is almost, almost as balmy as the event itself. <laughs> we couldn't quite hit those particular heights, but we gave, it a, we gave it a damn good go. Yeah, just explosions and bells and whistles and Uncle Tom Cobbley and the 82nd Airborne, everything you could hope to see. And indeed, it must be said, a few things you would not hope to see as well. But you run the absolute gamut of emotions watching that show. You know, from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. And it's something you have to experience at least once. Dan, Canadian Stampede. You're confusing memorable with good. Oh, no, <laughs> they, they, they are synonyms. No, they're not. Hogan v. Piper got nominated twice for worst match of the year. Disco Inferno vs. Jackling is memorable, not good. Eric Cantona kicking a fan in the crowd is memorable, it's not good. Diego Maradona running and having a cocaine-infused celebration at 1994 World Cup is memorable, it is not good. Yeah, but imagine if all of those things happened in a three-hour show, that would be a great football match. Rory, you said it yourself, the lowest of the lows. Canadian Stampede had no lows. Takamichi Noki versus Great Sasuke, great cruiserweight match. Mankind versus Helmsley, great brawl, expansion. That is, that, I, I, that, of all the things we said about Canadian stuff, that is not a great match. Like, under, under no circumstances is that, like, more than two and a half stars. It's a, it's decent. It's all right. You know, compared to, compared to most of the so this stuff, it is a great match. That's not a great wrestling match. Like, I need to dispel that myth. You're entitled to your opinion, but not when it's wrong. You're entitled to your opinion as well. When also when you're not wrong, the five-man tag match is iconic. I'm not Jeff Parker. I'm not an. I'm not Canadian. I don't, you know, have this Canadian-infused sense of entitlement. But that is still for a crowd reaction, for actually making the Road Warriors and Brian Pillman and Goldust interesting, for making Steve Austin being the most hated man on human on God's green earth when he was getting so many good faces reactions. Canadian Stampede, I'm sorry, is the best show of the year. Because why? It is excellent from bell to bell. It doesn't have any low in it like Halloween Havoc does. And although, it, and the only reason I didn't nominate Halloween Havoc for worst show of the year, spoilers, is because of A. Ray versus Eddie Guerrero. Rory, I implore you, 
to vote for Nick Kinnison Stampede because Bob's a lost cause. Uh, I, I, I kind of want to see if we can vote through Halloween Havoc as both best and worst show of the year. <laughs> um, well, let's try. Eric, your your vote for worst or best best show of the year. I just want to say as the closest, I'm only about 700 miles from Calgary where I stand right now. So I, I feel like the need that I'm basically Canadian for the purposes of this vote. Uh, tough year, no really great shows in my opinion, but I, I got to go Canadian Stampede and it pains me because I think it's crazy overrated. Dan. Canadian Stampede. Well, I am nailing my flag to the mast on Halloween Havoc. Rory, this sits with you. I'm very tempted now to just vote for something of, I don't know, Final Four or something, just to put the vote. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I am actually, I'm actually going to go, sorry, Bob, I'm going for Stampede. And let me very, <laughs> quick, let me very quickly tell you why. I've not, damn, that was a very, very compelling case. Mark in the box. However, Canadian Stampede, watching it now, watching it at the time, I merely gave 8 out of 10. I gave Halloween Havoc 9 out of 10. In my amble for Halloween Havoc just now, I was almost talking about the moment where... You had to be there. If you sit back and watch Canadian Stampede now, it almost seems like the very end of the World Wrestling Federation Mark One, And not just because the main family involved are really not there anymore. It seems like the final full stop on everything WWF was on pay-per-view. Match, match, match. Big main event. Baby faces win. Crowd go home happy. Everybody celebrates together. It was only five months ago. It might as well have been 500 years ago. It almost seems like a nostalgia piece, but in the best possible way. So I have to go for Stampede. I'm not happy. Right. <laughs> Worst show of the year. Rory. Okie dokie. Right. Will you be happy after this? I've got just the five nominations here. Although one of, I, can, I can mix two of them together. God, okay, I swear we got... said a limit of three, but fuck it, go on. <laughs> we've got um, two of them put together. We've got Sold Out which I'm also actually going to club in with the 22nd of December Nitro, so there you go. I've got the 14th of April Raw. <laughs> I've got Cold Day in Hell and Survivor Series. April. Remind me about um, 14th of April Raw again. Uh, it has been discussed already today, the Savio Vega-Rocky Maivia match. Oh, we the Kuwaiti had... tour, or South, South African tour, right? That's the one, South, South Africa, that's right, yes. We also had a 20-minute match between Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Jesse James. And we had terrible camera work, we had the sound cutting out, and we had a whole load of utter shit. Yes, that's the raw where about 30 minutes in, I went, fuck this, life is too short, and turned it off. That's <laughs> that is, right. That is the one which I spent, I literally, this is absolutely true, I was watching it, my mum was in the room at the same time. Spent the whole second hour uh, talking, talking about coffee. So there you go. To, to, to confirm your final nomination, it was Survivor Series, wasn't it, Rory? Survivor Series, yeah. Yes. Uh, Eric? I limited it to pay-per-views, uh, but uh, I've got sold out in January. Road Wild from August and Survivor Series. And Survivor Series. Dan? Uh, I've also got the war on the April the 14th. Uh, Road Wild and Starcade. We have a little bit of overlap for once. Uh, I have nominated Starcade. I've nominated Sold Out. And I've also nominated Road Wild. Uh, really quickly, Cold Day in Hell. Cold Day Hell was the perfect encapsulation, to use completely the wrong phrase, of what an in-your-house show means for the WWF, or has really ever since in-your-house has begun, with one or two notable exceptions. It was a poor show with an undercard just thrown together that nobody cared about in front of a listless crowd. You had one decent match between Shamrock and Vader, which wasn't even a professional wrestling match anyway, 
and a main event between The Undertaker and Steve Austin, which happened at least a year, maybe even two years too early. I gave it a very, very lucky three on the day. I'd probably give it even less now. 14th of April, Raw. Complete tosh. Just, if, if you can't have everybody on hand to actually do the Raw in the United States, or you don't have the team on hand to do a Raw overseas, then don't try and mix the two together, for God's sake. You know, that is just pure oil and water. And if you are, against all sensible and sane advice, going to do that, at least don't give us a 20-minute Hunter Hearst Helmsley fucking Jesse James match and an interrogator <laughs> promo and a final shot of Ahmed Johnson walking away from the ring. Oh, God. I'll say no more. Dad, anything more to add on that? No, I think Roy's done a pretty good job of that. <laughs> it's just uh, it's so bad. Dan, uh, you know what Survivor Series, all right? Uh, no, that was Eric, I think. Okay, uh, uh, t- pick off your three, because I think you've got a fresh list. Uh, yeah, uh, so Road Wild, just a bunch of really poor, boring matches with one terrible main event in front of a bunch of racist bikers who don't care about wrestling. Really. And uh, Starcade. Again, this is all relative. I think the Raw and the Road Wild and other nominations here are probably worse shows overall. But in terms of the importance of what this could have been for WCW and for this Monday Night War, to screw it up so memorably across the entire card, not forget, not just the main event, but the fact that Nash didn't bother to show up, the fact that all the heels went over, it's just, and the fact that it did seem like not a lot of their star power was actually on the show, it just really did not deliver in any way, shape, or form to what this could have been. This could have been a WrestleMania three for WCW in terms of, you know, striking a major blow if they get it, got it right, and they got it so horribly wrong. Uh, we'll come to sold out at the end. Eric, um, you nominated Survivor Series, is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, pick off that and anything else you nominated that wasn't sold out because we'll come to that. But yeah. <laughs> I nominated Road Wild and I can't uh, summarize that better than Dan. Uh, Survivor Series, bad shows can be good when they're entertaining like like Halloween Havoc. Um, this was a show that had no redeeming features at all for the first hour and a half. And the second hour and a half of the show was saved only by brief glimpses of competency by Ken Shamrock and Rocky Maivia and an angle more than a match between Austin and Stone Cold. Brett and Sean were on their way to a good match before that got uh, cut, before it could be anything memorable. You go back and watch that show, and it's punishment for the first two hours and ultimately disappointing for the last hour. Oh, let's get the sold out. Uh, Roy, you nominated sold out, didn't you? I bloody did and all. Yeah, so we'll start with you. <laughs> In Eric Bischoff's mind, and maybe the yes men at Turner, who believe everything this guy says and the ground he walks on is paved with gold, this might have seemed like a good idea, but it wasn't. Even if you had filled this to the brim with the NWO taking on supreme WCW in-ring talent and you had four to five star matches up and down the card, this still would have been an absolute dog because the whole concept of the show just did not work. Okay, the NWO have their own pay-per-view. And? So what? 
if they've already got their own pay-per-view, haven't they won the war? Why would I continue watching WCW programming? NW have got what they want. They've, you know, they've got they've got Eric Bischoff there at the helm. They've got Ted Turner's money. They've put on their own pay-per-view. They've got their own ring. They've got their own ref. Uh, it just does not work in the whole good versus evil, good overcomes the struggle story that's carried professional wrestling since the 1920s. And that's even before you get to matches ending with somebody running somebody over with a bike and the Miss NWO Blackpool 1973 Lovely Legs competition. Oh, oh dear, this event really was a loser. Eric. Starcade 91, Battle Bowl 93, King of the Ring 95, and Sold Out 97. Oh, God, I think, what a lineup. <laughs> I think it fits right in there as the fourth entry into the worst shows of the 90s. That's all I have to say. Yeah, I'll go back and listen to our review of that. It's It really is the pits. Um, that it is. Uh, Dan, your vote for show worst show of the year. Purely just from a overall level, I, I have to go with Starcade. Rory. Oh, sold out all the way. Eric. Sold out. Yeah. Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, NWO sold out is our worst show of the year. Moving on next to Rising Star slash Most Improved slash Best Debut slash anything else that involves getting better. Dan. Um, yeah, so I've kind of mainly gone for debut of this. So this is guys who have um, kind of debuted in the year. I've gone for Bill Goldberg, Ken Shamrock, and Kane. And Kane, Rory. I'll take this purely the rising star format. So I've gone for The Rock, Rocky Maivia, to give him his new name. Gone for Ken Shamrock and a bit of a left field choice, but I think he deserved one. Chris Candido. Interesting. Eric. Y'all are missing the obvious one. Eddie Guerrero, Rocky Maivia, and Rob Van Dam. That was me thinking this was going to be easy. Uh, I have nominated Bill Goldberg. I have nominated Kane. And I've also nominated Ultimo Dragon. Uh, I will start for once. Um, Bill Goldberg, we're we're nominating a best debut for a a, a look and for a guy that already seems to be getting over. Um, It's a bit limited. He hasn't had a good match yet. He hasn't had a long match yet. Um, But you know, it, it seems like the guy that they're going to be pushing a bit, and it's like he looks a million dollars, like he's 10 out of 10 at something already, which is something a lot of guys would, would like to have. Um, Kane, just for a really, really good debut, another 10 out of 10 look, uh, another guy that's got over in a very short space of time. Um, and again, you know, like if, if, if Glenn Jacobs can't get over with that, then, you know, he might as well give up in wrestling, I think. Um, and Ultimo Dragon, he's going to come up later in the show. Um, but to me, you know, whether he fits any of the descriptions that we've kind of grouped this category in for, I don't know. Um, but to me, a guy that broke out this year as a guy that I wouldn't have mentioned 12 months ago as one of the best wrestlers in the world. And uh, and now I would. Dan, pick through, pick through your three. Yeah, so two of them are the same as you, Goldberg and Kane, for all the reasons that you've listed. Um, the only thing I would put Kane ahead of Bill Goldberg slightly is because purely because I think it's just going to draw more because of his feud with Dundertaker. Uh, the other guy I mentioned was Ken Shamrock, purely because after his uh, dog food uh, mad, mad attack, 
he has been on fire in terms of this guy who's just really good at wrestling and he's just he's getting over as a mid card star with you know with the Intercontinental title feud potentially coming up. He had a world title feud with Shawn Michaels, making both Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels tap out. Uh, and if that's not a uh, you know kind of mini little good thumbs up from the company that you're highly thought of and are set for a big nineteen ninety eight, I don't know what it is. And he only debuted in March and had his first match with, with Vader in May. Um, so yeah, I just think this guy's got a huge he- uh, future ahead of him for someone who only debuted in 1997. Roy, pick off your guys. I also went for Shamrock. I think they've settled into the niche now of just making him a wrestler and he is already a very good one. I think he could become a very, very good one. Looks like he's entering into a feud with my other guy now, which is I think is going to be extremely good news for the both of them. Is Shamrock world title material? He did himself no harm at all in that performance against Michaels at DX, as I'll talk about more if you listen to the WWF show this month. So I just hope if he works on his mic skills, he really could be there. Which brings me very nicely to Rocky My Via The Rock. Rocky My Via The Rock. Just go back and watch anything that he was doing. Okay, I'll tell you here's a good example. Go back and watch when he wins the Intercontinental title from Hunter Hearst Helmsley on Thursday Raw Thursday back in February. He gets dominated the entire match. He wins with a fluky roll-up. He gets interviewed by Doc, Doc Hendricks at the end, among some not particularly enthusiastic fans, telling us all how delighted he is and how happy he is to be there. And bet you by golly, wow, I'm the champion. I'm going to give it 110% and go out there and give it my best shot and all the crap that nobody cares about. And now look at him. Ten months on, he is the de facto leader of the Nation of Domination, a heel group, and he carries himself like an absolute risen star. He just looks the part, both on the mic and in the ring. I still don't think he's the most accomplished worker, but that one word which exudes, which you have to be if you're going to be a top quality heel in North America, and that is confidence. I believe this guy gets it now. And the transformation from where he was is, is staggering. Maybe he always had this in him all along, but Vince just wants him to be the milk toast, happy-go-lucky baby face. But my goodness me, as he settled into this. And Candido, he's been allowed to run with the ball as well. Always been a talented worker and, again, was saddled in WWF with a ludicrous gimmick. He's now dropped that, as he tells us, at every opportunity. And he really can go in the ring. Maybe it's a bit of wishful thinking here because I'd like to see him completely break away from any of the groups he's been associated with and out-and-out feud with Douglas and beat him. Because I think Chris Candido is somebody who can do something with an ECW title, if not the world belt, maybe the TV belt. Because he's just somebody who's showed you don't have to do everything they tell you in cartoon land. And sometimes, just sometimes, pure in-ring talent can carry you a long way. Eric? I will restate Rory's comments about Rocky Maivia. This guy's got star written all over him. He could be the top heel in the business uh, moving forward. I think this guy is just amazing. But two others that haven't been mentioned. I can't remember if it was on the record or off the record in this month's in December's ECW show, but Chris Lacey and I were talking about Rob Van Dam. And we both agree that this guy, if he keeps his nose clean and if he can, continues to develop, this guy is going to be, this guy is going to be a top star in ECW and maybe Fed or WCW moving forward. I could really see this guy locking down the Intercontinental title, uh, division in the WWF and really making that a workers division moving forward. Don't sleep on Rob Van Dam. He hasn't had a great match this year that I can remember and he has had some really poor ones, but there are spots in every match of his where you can see that this guy is amazing. And I think if you go back and watch his, some of his matches with Taz, I think you can really see that coming through. 
But you all are sleeping on Eddie Guerrero. And much like Chris Candido, this guy's been around a while. And we've seen him up and down the card, and we've seen him in Mexico, and we've seen him in WCW. And you talk about all these great workers that WCW has in its undercard. Mysterio, Malenko, Dragon, Jericho. Who's had great matches or good matches with every single one of those guys this year consistently? And that's Eddie Guerrero. And he's got this heel turn now, and he's got a personality, and he's, his body has improved, and he seems to be connecting with the crowd, and he's really locked down that undercard. Man, this guy, Eddie Guerrero, I just think don't sleep on this guy. I think if you want to look at the definition of rising star, this guy started out in 1997 in a certain spot on the card, and he's ended it looking like a guy who's unstoppable as a as a rising star at the top of the card. Eric, your votes. Eddie Guerrero. Dan. Ken Shamrock. Rory. The Rock, Rocky Maivia, Rocky Maivia, The Rock. Another four-way split. I will go with Kane. Uh, Yes, that's gonna. Yes, I am going to enforce split rules on that one. So yes, with uh, with not not the uh, not a small amount of contention, Kane wins our rising star of the year. Uh, The final category before we go for a break. Anyway, not obviously you'll hear it. Uh, We're entering currently the the uh, the meat of the sandwich in terms of the the bits with the the most discussion, the most direction, and the the most element of controversy. We'll start with the non-match segments of the year, Eric. All right, I have four here. Um, in no particular order again. I've got Brett reforming the Hart Foundation from Raw from March 31. Piper and Hogan, their icons and uh, with Colt uh, from Nitro on March the 2nd. March was a good month for non-match segments. I have Raven versus Terry, or Raven and Terry Funk in the locker room, the two idiot horses segment from Hardcore TV again in March. And the, we didn't cover it on the show. Is it live or is it Memorex from Raw? November 24th. Uh, what specifically about that? The, is it live or is it Memorex? Yes, I don't know what you're on about. So uh, when Austin and Rock, uh, when Austin... Oh, I see, yeah, yeah. Everything, that, I mean, that's, that, right. that, that's the pinnacle of Stone Cold Steve Austin doing non-wrestling stuff and being entertaining as hell. Yes, I remember the segment. I just couldn't make the connection. Dan... I've got four completely different ones. Um, I've got <laughs> DDP rejects the NWO. Austin stuns Vince McMahon. This isn't... I, I'm counting this as a non-match segment because it came after the match, but Jerry Lawler's debut in ECW. And the final one is Sting and Randy Savage square off in on Nitro in January. We're going to end up with just like 16 different bits. Let's find out. Rory? Okay, I've got one matching, which is Austin Stunning McMahon. But I've got Sting's arrival at Uncensored. I've got Brett being Mr. Sweary on the Raw before uh, WrestleMania. And I've got the debut of and the crowd response to Cactus Jack at MSG. Mm. I'm... I, I thought it'd be a lock. Someone would mention Brett beating up Austin in an ambulance. Or Austin beating up Brett, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Brett beating I, up Austin in an ambulance, yeah, okay. We'll wait a while for that one. Yeah, that'll be next year. Um, <laughs> but Austin beating up Brett in an ambulance. Uh, I've got Roddy Piper in Alcatraz, just because fuck it. Um, I, I don't think anything better sums up the craziest Roddy Piper than that. Uh, I'm running out of space on my paper. I've got DDP is Parker on Nitro um, 
which which might be the the single best moment on Nitro all of year. And an honorable mention to the dinner and a movie skit for skit from the uh, Clash oh, of Champions God. in August. Um, we we cannot possibly go through all of these. Uh, Eric, fifteen seconds each on your on your best two would be uh, quite I think the best way to do this. Sure, I just think Brett reforming the Heart Foundation set in motion in the middle of the year and and really. Uh, Set set WWF on a new course and and and, and course corrected from the crappy booking, uh, basically from 1995 on. Turn Brett heel, got that moving forward. And the other one I'll pick. Everybody should go back and watch this. It's not going to win, but Raven and Terry Funk in the locker room. When you have two idiot horses and you made them, what do you get? An idiot. I think that just really that was the best part of the Terry Funk Raven feud because God knows their matches weren't any good. Dan, same question. Oh, that will we cover often. So I will talk about DDP cutting Scott Hall in half with the diamond cutter. It was the first blow that the NWO took, really, after being strong as anything for six months. And the first time anyone outside of the A-list got a blow in on them. Made DDP as a kind of figurehead for the new year. Uh, and the Sting standoff with Randy Savage. Intriguing as anything. You had no idea what you wanted, what was going to happen next. From minute to end, it was compelling television kind of made you want to tune in next week to see what was going on between Randy Savage and Sting, which is what you should do in a TV segment. Roy? Steve Austin stunning Vince McMahon, because it's Steve Austin stunning Vince McMahon. Yes, that Vince McMahon, the guy who owns the motherfucking company. And then just (laughs) 10 minutes later, you have Cactus Jack, Cactus Jack debuting at MSG to a hero's welcome, proving that not always... Can smart fans be annoying as fuck? Not always. Um, yeah, very surprised no one mentioned Austin beating up Brett in an ambulance, or indeed Brett beating up Austin in an ambulance, which presumably happened in some kind of parallel universe. Um, I, I just thought that was great television. Yeah, we talk about Austin and Brett being a great feud. For me, that was the pinnacle. Um, that was a, a great you know, two, three minute segment, you know, didn't wasn't really, you weren't really expecting it, and to me it just summed up everything that was great about their feud was just the the boundaries they were pushing, the unexpected things they were doing and the reactions they were getting. Um, DDP being the Parker, for me, is the best moment of Nitro all year. Um, you know, maybe it's just memorable more than anything else, um, but no one saw that coming. DDP did a phenomenal job with that. And for me, the thing that sends it over the edge, as great as it was, was, was the, the call by Shivoni where he says, when Randy Savage wakes up, tell him that was a diamond cutter, which I just thought was a great <laughs> line. That was, Tony Shivoni gets a lot of stick, quite r- rightly. For me, for once, his call sent the angle over the edge. Uh, Eric, your votes in this category. Yeah, I have to criticize myself. It's become so ubiquitous uh, that I didn't even mention it. But Austin Sonny McMahon in September, that's my vote. Dan. Austin Sonny McMahon. Rory. And hell, you can kiss my ass. <laughs> he does it better than me. A little bit. Um, I'm going to go with DDP Baylor Parker, just to be different. Not that it will make any difference as Austin Sonny Vince McMahon gets our nomination or our vote, rather. Moving on next to another category that I think could be quite interestingly contested. Uh, the flop slash fail of the year. Dan? I've gone for Kurt Hennig, Goldust, and Jeff Jarrett. Oh, I didn't even think of Goldust. What do I mean? Uh, Eric? Yeah, I may have had a different interpretation of this category, but I had it as uh, the the 
Sting versus the NWO culminating at Starcade. Uh, how the WWF handled things post Brett. And then uh, a sneaker, but I think it needs to be uh, remembered, is uh, trying to go fully racial with the Nation of Domination mid-year in the WWF. God. Interesting. That's going to sneak more into my votes and votes in the next category. Uh, Rory. I also have Gold Dust, or sorry, the artist formerly known as Gold Dust in my list. I can't believe this hasn't come up yet. Dear old Gang Wars, no mention of that. And the reveal of the Honky Tonk Man's protege. Oh, Lord. Oh, shower and a half. Oh, Lord. Just one of those things that was so bad, like you just had to wipe it from your head. Um, unveiling. Uh, I've gone straight down the line just with three wrestlers. Um, I have Kurt Hedding. Uh, I have Rick Rude. Oof. And this one might be a bit controversial. I've got Terry Funk. Oh, come on. We'll come, to that, good, in, we'll come to that in a bit. Um, okay. Eric, it is a loose category. It was intended more for wrestlers, but, you know, you've taken it in a different direction, which is fine. Uh, I think some of it will spill over into worse booking decisions that's coming next. I think the same thing happened last year. But take us through your nominations anyway. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about flop or fail in a, in a broader sense, and I'll be quick here uh, because I, I, I do think that um, – Kurt Hennig is a solid choice here. Um, I just think if you look at a, a flop or a fail, you look at something that was built up so much, and we've talked about it ad nauseum, and I'm sure you gents talked about it even more so on your WCW show, but when I think of a flop, I think of something that has a lot of anticipation, and then it just comes off like a wet fart, and that was the Sting versus Hogan feud culminating at Starcade, And then post-Brett in the WWF, I guess I could just say the booking of Shawn Michaels after after or the booking of Degeneration X uh, after uh, Survivor Series with the little person angle, Harvey Whippleman is Rick Rude burying Jim the Anvil Neidhart, um, Shawn Michaels and, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley just being general twats on television. I think as I talk myself through this, I think Degeneration X is probably my not my true nomination for flop or fail, just because it's so repulsive. And then the Nation of Domination. Uh, if we're going to limit it to, to workers or to, or to stables, I think the nation of domination just trying to go full racial with them when that never was, never should have been the intent with that group. And when they tried it, it didn't work out. Rory. Uh, what do you want to go? Just, just run through them. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, I'll get, I'll get the honky tonk man out of the way because that, that lasted pretty much the, from the beginning of the year to the middle of April. And, by the looks of it, reading through the sheets, nobody actually had not even wanted to do this role. They tried to get in Disco Inferno, who wouldn't have been the greatest payoff in the world anyway, but uh, he wasn't around. So I had to go to somebody who had already turned down HTM services, and it turns out to be Billy Gunn wearing a black jacket with the words Rockabilly on the back, looking like it was stuck on there using seashells and superglue, and he carries a guitar with him and badly dances in the ring. So there you go. If that doesn't solve a flop or fail, I don't know what does. Uh, yeah, gang wars. Three teams which nobody in their right mind or even in their wrong mind would ever care about. Who really, at least ten of them, and that's being generous, can't go. They're feuding for months and months and months and months with no beginning, middle or end whatsoever. Some of the shittest matches you could ever hope to see. So bad that you would wish them on your worst enemy. Uh, what else do we have? Yes, we had the, the artist formerly known as Gold Dust. 
it's it's different. But, uh, I'll give him that. But seeing him being led by a chain held by Luna Bashan, wearing fuck knows what, he probably thinks he looks like something out of Studio Fifty Four when he really looks like something straight out of Area Fifty One. Damn, Jeff Jarrett. He was meant to be the captain of WCW going into 1997, and now he's with the other company. Uh, you could probably could go a lot, lot. You could probably go a lot longer on the reasons why Jeff Jarrett can be nominated in this category. He 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 brief. He was almost on my list. I took him off. Um, we'll talk about Kurt Henning at the end. I'll pick off my other two first. I thought I've got Goldust pick off as well. Um, Rick Rude um, has been in ECW. He's been in WWF. He's been in WCW. And he's been shit in all three. Um, genuinely quite impressive. But for a guy that I always had down as a very good promo, terrible colour commentator, um, combine that with just the dreadful unveiling of him in ECW at the beginning of the year and everything that followed, um, came to the WWF and Shawn Michaels kind of went, we don't want him. And they kind of left him with him for a while. And now he's just a paperweight in, in, in NWO and just being shit as an announcer. Um, Terry Funk is a controversial one. I know he's very well liked. I know he's very popular. Um, but for me, one of the untold stories of the year was just how ineffective Terry Funk was in ECW. Um, I know there'll be a lot of talk about the first pay-per-view being the, the, the story of Funk. Um, you know, and some of that wasn't their fault. They kind of just ran out of legs on that story. Um, but to tell a story of a guy of, oh, he's so old, can he go anymore... That kind of came home to roost uh, because people stopped believing he could go. Like, you know, maybe it was true. Maybe that was the problem. Um, but Funk stuck around too long in ECW. Um, and I think after a while he was starting to do some damage to ECW in terms of two of their three pay-per-views and their ability to really tell stories. Um, Funk should not have been facing uh, Raven at the first pay-per-view. It should be Raven and Tommy Dreamer. I know that wasn't Funk's fault, um, but Funk was a symptom of that problem. Um, I'll start the ball rolling on Kurt Henning. I know a couple of us have got to say things about him and about Gold Dust. Um, Kurt Henning came in with a lot of fanfare uh, into WCW. Uh, they originally hiked him for a spot that I think they were trying to shoehorn someone like Mike Tyson or someone like that. Um, they said, we've got this big guy debuting at the end of the month. And I, I don't know that this was like June. I don't know if there's anything like better way to explain it and they he walks out at the end of this nitro in June and Bohini goes oh it's Kurt Hennig it's like oh it is um, and then you kind of watch him it's like yeah he's not that good anymore uh, and he's really not uh, he's not I don't think he's had you know some of it's ring rust but he's had enough time I think now where that's no longer an excuse he's not a compelling act in any way shape or form um, Dan talk about Henning uh, and talk about Goldust yeah sure so again as you said Henning was brought in as probably the signing of WCW's year and he hasn't had delivered in any way shape or form. He hasn't drawn his matches when you consider what Mr. Perfect was known for in WWF. His ingrained quality has just gone down the toilet. And WCW have given him opportunities to have good matches. You know, he's been putting with Ric Flair. They've given him a good few to go and work alongside with. They gave him every chance and he's not delivered. I can excuse, you know, being hampered by poor booking, but he has, he 
has dropped the ball on so many occasions for WCW. And as well, he's just, again, he's lost all his, he's lost a lot of his luster and now he's no longer got the belt. Um, and as far as gold dust goes, I don't know if, if there's anyone who's had as many kind of chances to get over as Goldust has had in WWF with as many different character shifts. I mean, he he was the you know family man face against Helmsley, that didn't work. The the guy who unites Team USA to take on Team Canada at Canadian, uh, Canadian Stampede, that didn't work. Then he's in a feud with this creep who's stalking his wife and is showing all these weird you know weird sex tapes to him during Raw. No one cares. Then he's this weird, deranged prince, you know, artist who's gone insane and is wearing ball gags in his mouth and being led on a chain. That's not worked. How can this guy have so many chances? And literally none of them have worked at all. He's not, he's, he's not, and to top it off, he's not had a single good match this year. Compared to this guy, what was, you know, three years ago was being thought of as this really good up and coming star in Dustin, in Dustin Rhodes and Dustin Reynolds. He's gone. He's he's shot the toy. He's put on weight. He's I don't know what's happened to him in the ring, but and from a character wise, he's not what he's not delivered from an in ring standpoint. He's not delivered, and he's not over. So everything that you constitute a flop, Goldust is. Eric, your vote in this category. I don't know if you want to change course from where your nomination started, but where did, where have you finished? Yeah, I think in the spirit of this category and, and how you guys have taken it, I think I don't think you can perfectly blame Kurt Hennig for all the problems that, that he's had. I think WCW has done him no favors. I'm going to vote DX. Interesting. Rory. Consider your card mark for even mentioning Terry Funk in this category, Bob. Uh, I am going to go for well, my specific award was for Tafka Gold Dust, but for everything that uh, Dan has described, it's got to be Dustin Ronalds and all. He's got to go in there. Dan. Well, it's kind of weird that I've had that big rant, but it's actually going, I'm going to go for Kurt Hennig. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to go for Goldust. I didn't even nominate him, um, but he's that bad. They've tried that many times, and he's still rubbish. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's a lot of people that, that, that qualify this category. Anyway, so Goldust wins our flop or fail of the year. Uh, moving on to a very open-ended category. Worst booking decision of the year. Again, interpret that however you like. Rory, I'll start with you. Okie dokie. I have got the Sabu Fonzie turn at Barely Legal. I've got the Luger title win. Lincoln, you missed it in August. I've got the finish to the main event of One Night Only. And I've got a couple of slightly facetious ones. I've got Hulk Hogan going, let's do a fast count finish tonight, brother. And I've also got Vader not being the guest booker for the Survivor Series main event. <laughs> Starcade main event uh, and Survivor Series Vader. Well, well funnily enough, one of my nominations literally reads whatever happened at Survivor Series. <laughs> so I'll, I'll bundle that in there. Uh, I have also got, uh, I've got five here. I've got Ronnie Piper doing his own booking. Uh, that that segment in March where he ended up getting booed, uh, which was really impressive. Uh, Miss NWO, an offshoot of sold out, but in there, in there nonetheless. Uh, WWF racism uh, in all its shapes and forms, uh, Grand Wizard and all. Uh, and NWO Monday Nitro and all of the things that, that come off the back of that. Eric. 
A lot of crossover here. Uh, I've got the uh, Hogan versus Sting payoff. Uh, Sean over Bulldog at one night only. Uh, the finish of the War Games match, uh, mostly due to the lack of a payoff at any point. Um, like Rory said, hot shotting the belt to Luger and back to Hogan in August just to pop a rating on Nitro before the pay-per-view rode wild. And then just because it needs to be mentioned, not that it's going to win, but the fucking WCW tag titles and the effect uh, on Hall and Nash and the Steiners and how that division has just been completely devalued. Don. Uh, yeah, so I've also got the main event of Starcade and the continuing theme for the night. Uh, the main event at one night only. The build to Survivor Series 1997, not just the night in question. And touching on what you had in your earlier category, Bob, Rick Rude in a mask. Dan, just to check, you cut out there. Did you have three nominations there or four? What was the first one? Uh, Starcave main event. Right, that was what I missed. You cut out there. That's fine. Uh, right, we, we could be here a while, but I think if one category probably deserves a bit more time than the others, it's probably this one. Um... Rory, we'll start with the main event of one night only. It was Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog for the European title in Birmingham, I believe. Uh, And Shawn Michaels went over, because as as I come back to earlier, it is Shawn Michaels versus the world. There you go. And the world won't listen, as they say. I mean, Michaels going over here, really, and myself and Dan talked about this at great length in our uh, 2nd September WWF show. I mean, if this had been, if Bulldog in some alternative universe had been the world champion here, and you want to switch the title to Michaels, you, you, you just don't do it. Not in the guy's home country on a pay-per-view which is geared to a niche audience. I'm sure as hell not when his sister, who's legitimately dying of cancer, is in the front row, and Bulldog has gone onto every single news and television outlet he could think of, or he's been sent to, and he has told them that he is going to win for her in a situation where all the finishes are predetermined. So everybody thinks, yes, I'm going to tune into this pay-per-view to watch Bulldog you know, get revenge on that evil American Shawn Michaels. And he's going to do it for us. And he's going to do it for his sister. And he gets stopped by a figure of four leg lock in the middle of the ring. And he looks so much of a putz that his best friends don't come out to help him until the damage is done. What an absolute killer. Michaels being Michaels. Just a great ace scumbag with nobody telling him he couldn't be one. Dad, I know you want to say, I know you wanted to say your bit, so I guess now's a good time to do it in short. Uh, the main event of Starcade. Uh, simply put, the most stupid decision I think I've ever seen from, in the main event of a, of a match. I mean, this has got every earmark of having the baby face go over the heel clean. Don't care what you do in the rest of the match. I don't. I don't know. You know, you can have as many bells and whistles as you want, but just have Sting pin or tap out Hulk Hogan. And yet they had to do. They had to cater to Hulk Hogan's ego. They had to cater for, you know, all his creative control impulses. I don't care. Just do whatever you can, just to make sure that that finish of that main event is clean. And it, it, it's spoiled. Honestly, it makes. It gives you such a sour taste in your mouth. And even. If they had executed the match, you know, Nick Patrick's count as, as cleanly as they wanted to, it still would have left a sour taste in your mouth. Because it's still like, oh, what the hell is this? This is more WCW chicanery. This is more WCW shenanigans. And it doesn't need to be. Just have a payoff. Just do something that actually rewards fans watching your show. 
as opposed to just making them having to, and again, making it complicated when it doesn't need to be complicated. Keep it simple, stupid. Eric, Luger winning the WCW title, I think that was one of yours, right? Yeah, and you know, the more that I think about this, I think we could have just nominated the WCW world title uh, booking as as a, a category because the way that I see it and what Dan has just described is you see it, and I nominated Fall Brawl too, and, and I'll, I'll work that in here too. You see the NWO go over at Fall Brawl. You see Hogan go over Luger at Road Wild after Luger had, had won the belt. You see the main event of Starcade, and you think, and I've said this before on WCW shows, how much can the fans take before they just say, I'm not going to take it anymore? When is the payoff that we all want? I mean, I think I said it on the Road Wild show, but it may have been on any other WCW show this year, say for Bash to the Beach. I don't watch television shows that leave me disappointed, that leave me you know, dissatisfied, that I think are poorly written. Why the fuck would I watch wrestling that leaves me feeling the same way? And Starcade is just a culmination of a year of WCW not delivering on, on the simplest and the most basic concept. And so I think by nominating the Hog Wild or the Road Wild main event, you just it's it's more of a symptom of this larger uh, picture in WCW where they don't know how to book the the world title. And so, you know, at the time back in August, Hogan winning the belt back from Luger I don't think Luger should have won the belt on Nitro in the first place, but if you're going to do it, at least give him a a little bit of a run with it and have Hogan win the belt back later on to set up a match with Sting. But don't hot shot the belt just to pop a rating because that's that's so counterproductive to what your to, to your overall fan base. I'll go on to NWO Monday Nitro again. Something I've spoken about a lot uh, on both Volume One and Volume Five this month. Um, but yeah, just. You know, again, a wider sense of a big problem, i.e. WCW's lack of direction over the NWO. Um, but to me, it's just 90 minutes of the worst wrestling television I've seen all year. In fact, entirely since we started this project. Eric Bischoff is blowing smoke up Hulk Hogan's ass for what felt like 30 minutes. Um, you know, let's give him, let's give him two motorcycles. Let's give him a ring in the shape of the WCW world title. You know, let's have nothing of consequence. And, you know, to me, like, worst booking decision in the one that seems to have the most immediate, like, this was a bad idea reaction when four, two days later the ratings came out and just the ratings plummeted during it. Um, Rory, mop up anything else we, we've missed because I can't work out who's got what left here. Yeah, I just want to throw in the Sabu Fonzie. Taz, whatever that was, at Fairly Legal, because I just found it so bizarre. I had no problem with Taz going face after that match with Sabu, but did we really need to turn Sabu heel? And did we really need to turn him heel by having a situation where Fonzie said he placed a bet on him winning? You know, why the hell would he do that? Plus the fact none of the very smart ECW crowd actually got what was going on. It was just a confusing double turn that baffled everybody. It was worse than Demolition, Powers of Pain, Mr. Fugit, Survivor Series 88. And it marred what I thought was a really, really good and probably a bit underrated match as well. So I just want to throw that one in there. And Survivor Series almost doesn't really need to be talked about, does it? <laughs> Dan? Uh, I think it does need to be talked about, Roy. <laughs> hey, most, um, you, yes, you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, you, you talked about it enough you know, on your last show last month. But um, I just want to touch on like how, how can you... Like, do nothing to build up this match that you have been that's been 18 months in the making at least there's between two of your potentially your you know, on paper your biggest stars who genuinely hate each other like you have literally all the tools in your ammunition to make this one of the biggest matches of your 
recent history. I think Brett did more uh, actions with the Patriot in that three months and with Vader than he did with Shawn Michaels. He did more stuff with the Nation than Shawn Michaels. I mean, it's just, it was just baffling on every single, you know, single um, facet that you look at when trying to book a big main event showdown. You know, there's no clear face heel dynamic between the pair of them. There was no kind of interaction between either the factions, really, the Heart Foundation or the or DX. Um, and yeah, it's just, regardless of what happened on the night itself, absolutely disastrous management of how to build up a show. Because if, if you think about it, how much more notoriety and kind of like interest in the product would this, you know, would the screw job have generated if they managed to get another 100,000 people watching the show? Which they easily could have done if they booked the actual feuds and the match better going in after SummerSlam. Eric, anything else that we haven't touched on on your list? No, just everybody needs to remember how bad the tag division was in WCW this year. Yes. Uh, I'm going to finish with uh, the build to Survivor Series, um, specifically the, you know, I call it WWF racism, which is, you know, kind of getting it on the head, if uh, if nothing else. Um, uh, you know, some things just don't translate into stories. Um this is one of them. Um, the it was horrendous watching it. Like the, the Shawn Michaels and Hunter Selmsley trying to be funny, you know, the Grand Wizard and the the rest of the KKK, and just this idea that a storyline could play out where it's like, well, there's some racial undertones, there's some racist language in the NOD locker room. Who done it? Like it's this kind of great you know really interesting gripping story no it's just really painful to watch it's really offensive to watch it's not good television um and i you know just very very strange decision making uh, horrendous to watch um and a reason why people perceive wrestling to be as it is uh rory your votes in this category for worst booking decision of the year Yes, under normal circumstances, I would have selected the Starcade main event because it was bad. It was very bad. It was very, very bad. But at least, and that should be an italicised at least, Sting won. So I'm nominating the one night only main event because it made me legitimately angry. And that is the one thing that pro wrestling should not do. Eric? If you look at the context from Starcade 96 through Starcade 97, you look how the world title was booked all the way through and you look how the NWO is booked all the way through. Rory has made a really good point about the ending to Sean and Bulldog, but that feud was really nothing special compared to the finish of Hogan and Sting, which gets my vote. Done. Uh, Rory, the finish to Hulk Hogan and Sting also made me legitimately angry and made me question whether I want to watch this company anymore. So Hogan v Sting at Starcade. Uh, well, that will take it. I'm going to go with the WWF racism in the build-up to Survivor Series. We move on next. This one was contentious, shall we say, last year. Promo of the year, Eric. Okay, well, promo here we as go. in talk, talker of the year. I should clarify. So, so general promo, not specific promo. Yes. Okay, that makes it even easier. I I only have two really. Then, uh, Paul Bearer and Roddy Piper. Dan. Uh, uh, I've got Raven, Scott Hall, and Steve Austin. 
Rory. Austin and Bischoff. And I only have two. I have Austin and I have Scott Hall. Uh, let's start Roddy Piper. Um, you know, I think this is probably a, a front-loaded nomination, given that most of Piper's work would have been in the first third of the year. Um, it, it infrequently made sense, but Piper, you know, even when he's just wildly stabbing around at topics, he's still very entertaining on the mic. Yeah, and, and I've mentioned before, and I'll mention again, you know, full disclosure, I have a wicked hometown bias uh, for Roddy Piper. Uh, but I just think if you look at his Alcatraz promos, if you look at the promo with his son Colt and Hogan, when Hogan kind of gets him back in, and you just look at the mic work he's done throughout the year, save for that promo you mentioned in March where the crowd turned against him, yada, yada, yada. Piper shouldn't be allowed to book himself, but when he does, and sometimes it works, it works. Um, and then... Uh, I just think his work on the mic shouldn't be uh, undervalued because of how terrible of a of an in-ring worker he is. Uh, and I will say I deliberately chose not to nominate Steve Austin because I just assumed he would win this category. Paul, Bar- Paul Barra? Yeah, you look at the – again, I've mentioned Paul Barra ad nauseum here, and I, I – that's not on accident because I really think his contributions have been undervalued this year because there's been so much done with Brett and with Austin and with Michaels. And this Undertaker storyline has really flown under the radar somehow, even though it's been really awesome. I just compel everybody to go back to Raw on the 30th of June and listen to the Undertaker's a murderer promo and tell me that that's not the best managerial promo that was cut all year. And Raven. Purely just from a, what I look for in what promos do, which is just develop a character. And as great as Brody Powerpuff is on the mic, as great as Beric Bischoff is on the mic, I think Raven's promos just make quite a nuanced guy, which is something that people don't often get. And I just, it's just, I'm drawn to him. I, I just, I'm invested in whatever this guy says. And that's all I can ask for. Rory, Eric Bischoff. Yeah, whilst I still don't think he did enough to be my non-wrestler of the year, I think Bischoff as an on-screen character, he's such a hateable little sputum-laden arsehole. <laughs> because I get the impression that's exactly what he is backstage day after day. When he's there, you know, brown-nosing Turner, which I'm sure he does. He just carries that over, and he's just so goddamn hateable. And he carries that purely from his mic work. And um, we talked about it on the WCW show and he's just there telling Hogan how wonderful he is. Now he wants, wants to marry him and have his babies. It was puke-inducing stuff, but it was ultimate bad guy, bad guy material. And he is supreme at it. I just wonder now if it's going to continue. He lost the match with Larry Zabisco, but considering he was once again doing the Hogan is the greatest human being thing on the... Uh, on Nitro the day after. We could be getting a lot more of this. And he's had to do it as well because Hogan was actually one of my nominations in this category last year, but not this year. Bishop has had to carry his load as well, and uh, he's done it. Dan, let's talk about Scott Hall. Pure and simple. He is what makes the NWO, his promos make the crowd listen. And unlike Hulk Hogan, he's actually original in what he says. The survey thing is cool. He is cool. And he makes the crowd cheer for the NWO just by the sheer that you know, the sexiness of his voice. It draws you in. It makes you want to be him. It makes you want to love him. 
And that's why he's on my list, baby. <laughs> did, did Bob hand you a script for that one? Dan, you want a couple of minutes to yourself <laughs> here, my friend? Well, uh, I yes. had to make up for the, for the um, Halloween Havoc rant I had earlier, so I was trying to get back into Bob's crazy. Well, for, yeah, for everything Dad said, uh, Scott Hall <laughs> won it last year. Um, he should have won MVP too, but you know, we, we went down that road. Um, he is still the coolest guy in town. Uh, I include that in both WCW and WWF. I don't think it's been as good a year for him on the mic, purely in the sense that he hasn't had those home run promos to cut, as in he hasn't been putting those great positions to, to make these all important promos. Um, but he is still the coolest guy in town. Um, the reason, you know, the, the NWO over, the NWO is popular and over because it's cool. And it's cool because of Scott Hall. Um, you know, there's assists for Kevin Nash and for Six. Um, but the NWO is cool because of Scott Hall. That was true a year ago and it's still true now. Uh, and it's cool because he's such a, he's such an entertaining guy on the mic. Um, Roy, talk about Steve Austin. I don't really need to. He, as, as Eric said, you know, a very simple nomination and with due reason. You look at Steve Austin in any context when he has a microphone up to his lips and you are right there with him. Whether he's telling you he's going to kick your ass, whether he's sitting in his ranch, whether he's holding a belt over a bridge, he's captivating, he's entertaining, he's engrossing. And you know the thing that makes him so great? He's not trying to be any of those things. He just is. It's a natural gift. I said it this time last year. The greatest characters, people who can talk you into the building, to use uh, the old territory talk, are the people who are themselves with the volume turned up to 11. And that is Austin on the microphone. It's him in the ring, but it's him on the microphone here. Dan, anything more on Austin? No, I think we always put off really well there. Just... He on him on the mic for the first four months was what really was the perfect foil to the serious and the kind of questionable actions of Bret Hart, and that stretch from when he broke his neck in August to when he stunned Vince is some of the greatest character work and evolution of a character I've ever seen. You know, even even as good as Austin's been, I'm still such a homer for Hall. I'm still genuinely tempted to vote for him. Um, <laughs> but I don't think I can. Uh, I'm going to vote for Steve Austin. Eric? Paul Bear. <laughs> Rory? Sorry, Eric. Yeah, Austin. Austin. Eric, that was the saddest nomination I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Dad. Uh, I'm, tempted, I'm tempted to vote for Paul Bear now after that, but it has to be Austin. Yeah, it, it does have to be Austin as, as much as I'd uh, as much as I'd like. Right, quick one, promotion of the year, Dan. WWF. Rory. WCW. Just. Eric. WWF. Oh, we have a tie. Uh, yeah, WCW. Uh, no real discussion, because we, yeah, in general we rattle through. Uh, yeah, WCW on a technicality, I think, that is the split vote. It's difficult. WS probably been more entertaining television-wise, um, but I think as an overall package, in terms of drawing, in terms of match quality, certainly undercard match quality, um, and in terms of, uh, WS been shit so often this year. Um, yeah, WCW gets it, but a, a close run race for once, because in the last three times we've done it, it's been a just bang, 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 I think. Uh, right. 
here we go. Match of the year. I'm going to get a new page for this because we might now need it. Dan. You're going to hate me for this one, I'm afraid. Um, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vader versus Undertaker. Oh, so, so the uh, In Your House Final Four, right? That's me clapping for you, Dan. Yes. <laughs> what was that brave I'll a suggestion? That. It's in my list. <laughs> uh, go on, Dan. Dimalenko versus Ultima Dragon from Clash of Champions 1997. Uh, the five-man tag match from Canadian Stampede. Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero at Halloween Havoc. Baker versus Shawn Michaels at Hell in the Cell. Hang on. Guerrero, Taker versus Michaels. And you're topping out at five, Dan? Yep. Interesting. Just to confirm, your first nomination, Brett versus Austin versus Vader versus Taker, right? Correct, yes. Right. Eric? Yeah, uh, in no particular order. I also have five. And Stranger, they're all from the WWF. Uh, they're all main events. Go figure. Uh, Hart versus Austin from WrestleMania 13. Michaels versus Undertaker, Hell in a Cell. Bulldog and Owen uh, from Raw in February. The final four match, which I'm so happy Dan brought up. And then my wild card is the 1997 Royal Rumble. Ooh. Huh. Interesting. Rory. Wow, okay. Uh, I've got Owen and Bulldog from Berlin. I've got HBK Taker from Bad Blood. I've got Eddie Ray from Halloween Havoc. Also, I nearly forgot. Yes, I've also got Brett B. Austin from WrestleMania. Nearly overlooked that one. Uh, yes, um, three, um, four that have already been said. Canadian Stampede main event, uh, In Your House final four main event, uh, Brett versus Austin and Michaels versus Taker. Um, let's pick off Eric, Royal Rumble. Yeah, this is one that I kind of sat and I typed it out and I looked at it for a little while and I thought, yeah, that, that was one of the best matches of the year. And, and the reason was is because that was a really not a great show. But that match, if you if you go back and watch it and you think what they were trying to do for that match, it set up Bretton Austin moving on. It set up the great Final Four match. It made Austin look like a star. It really uh, – it, it accomplished a lot of things that a Royal Rumble match can accomplish, but in the last couple of years really hasn't. And so if you go back and, and watch it, I just think for, for what the Royal Rumble match is, and usually it's a big clusterfuck, and then the last five minutes is entertaining, this was a match that really set into – set into play a lot of the top storylines for the first half of 1997. I think it was pulled off well. I think it made Austin look like a star. And I think it really gave Brett a reason to be pissed off. So go back and watch that in the in the context of what happened in the rest of the year 1997 and tell me that the Fed didn't check every necessary box that a Royal Rumble is supposed to. Dan, D. Malenko and Ultimo Dragon. Yeah, they searched out uh, Brett and Austin at WrestleMania for me. Uh, I love cruiserweights. It's just the action in the ring is so crisp. It's so smooth that both guys are actually doing moves which actually could win a match or have a purpose to win the match. The crowd is over as hell, which is a main, which is a big plus point for Dimlenko because he was the big face in that match. And I've watched that show from top to bottom. They aren't interested in the majority of the other card. So that's a big plus point for Dean. They built on their other match. They had at Starcade, which I also loved to death. Uh, because uh, that matchup, I believe, had Dean get distracted by Sonny Ono and then getting hit by a dragon suplex to lose. This time, he goes for a Texas Cloverleaf, hits Sonny Ono in the face, and then still hits him in the Texas Cloverleaf to win the match. It was just 
again, perfect cruiserweight matching, cruiserweight wrestling with a advanced story to it and a hot crowd. Mysterio Guerrero, Dan. Uh, just advancing on what I said earlier, this was about as great as a in-ring match with very little story to it could be. Um, you, I think, said it perfectly, Bob. When you record, is it's basically just hitting the clutch and going and changing gears at exactly the right moment, at exactly the right time to get the crowd more and more invested every time. It also saved the show from being an absolute dross in Halloween Havoc and had probably the best move I've ever seen with very mysterious cannonball into a Hurricane Rana. So just pure wrestling perfection. Rory, Owen and Bulldog. Absolutely. Damn right this is on the list. You summed up when we were talking about this one, Bob. You caught your opening line was, this was a very old school match. And it was. And I loved it for that very reason. It seemed like a throwback in the very best possible way. This dimly lit arena with these two guys who are exchanging holds and trying to wear each other down. We, we, we got away from that in wrestling, didn't we? We sure as hell got away from it in the WWF ever since Black Saturday first came along. And these two were allowed to go there on a show which unfortunately nobody was really watching. It did a 1.7 for crying out loud. But my goodness me, they went deep into the moveset and as if this was a, a, a dingy sports hall in Berlin, but it might as well have been Stampede in 1980 or something. Uh, they got everything perfectly right. The right guy went over in a really quite good use of what would beautiful way. They let each other kick out of each other finishers. The pin was believable. It was an old school wrestling match name on the marquee between two of my favourites. So there you go. Uh, where to go next? Um, Eric, in your house final four main event, Steve Austin versus Bret Hart versus The Undertaker versus Vader. Yeah, you look at the main event and 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 you look at a great match and and you want to, in my opinion, you want to accomplish three things. You want to have a hot storyline, you want to have a, a decent crowd, and you want to have a, a result or, or a match that everybody comes out looking looking better. And we've criticized Vader all the way through 1996 as to how lethargic and how poorly he had been booked. And Vader looked like a killer in this match. Um, Austin and Brett, this served as a vehicle to further their storyline. The match was hot. Uh, and then I think you can't – the match itself was great. But you can't talk about Final Four without talking about the next one on Raw because I think that was the logical further into that storyline. And the Austin-Brett-Sid storyline that continued the next night on Raw – was just, you know, if you're going to hotshot the belt from Sean to Brett to Sid, they couldn't have done it better. And this final four match served as a vehicle to do that, notwithstanding that the match itself was was top-notch. And the WWF doesn't do four-way matches very often. This was very good. Where to go next? Uh, let's do uh, Rory, uh, Brett Hart versus Steve Austin. <laughs> not the way you dipped your voice there, as you, you know, like, you know, like the conductor tapping the tapping the table. Yes, I thought this would be in everybody's list, actually, Dan. But there you go. Um, what else is there left to say? <laughs> what else is there left to say about this perfect living encapsulation of what pro wrestling is in 1997? Oh God, he's turning into Barbara Cartland again. So I'll, I will try and keep it brief here, as I, we all talked for this match for nearly an hour 
on the WrestleMania show. 59 minutes of that match were me talking. Uh, yes, everything. People who hate each other. Technical wrestling. Build. Crowd heat. Intensity. An ending which had everybody on the edge of their seat. Even a guest referee playing his part perfectly. And I know you're going to disagree with this, Bob, because you think it happened the week before, but a double turn that hit every spot and switched the entire apex of the WWF on its head in the space of a 20-minute match. You could not wish for more. Gosh, gosh, gosh. Where do we go next? Uh, let's... Dan, Canadian Stampede main event. Yeah, I've already waxed the local about how, you know, they managed to turn everything on its head. I've never, ever seen crowd be so invested in a match. I've ever... It's, it's making, it makes the building shake, you know, and this is an arena. This isn't a dingy sports hall. This is a multi-thousand seater arena and it's shaking purely because of how invested and, and loud and raucous this crowd is. And honestly, you could probably put Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the honky top man in a, in a match with that crowd and it will probably be four stars. But you add into that Bret Hart, you add into that Owen, Austin, Ken Shamrock, even to a lesser extent, British Bulldog, and you've got enough talent in there to make this an instant classic. Um, and even just the story they told in the actual match with Austin getting carried out and Owen getting carried out and then both returning at the end of the match to actually have the Brett say and the finish and having Owen Hart pick up the pinfall instead of the Brett kind of giving, you know, advancing the storyline, but also kind of concluding, you know, the kind of Canada-USA huge focal point of the storyline. And in terms of moments, just the visual of all the Hart family just being lauded and having as much agitation as, they could, as the Canadian crowd could possibly give their heroes in as, as you know, the limited time frame they had available to them. It's just spine tingling, um, just a spine tingling to watch. And it's, it, it is must watch this match just because you're never, ever going to see a match like it again. Yeah, we'll give everyone a brief opportunity to fill in any gaps that, that they want to fill in on matches they weren't asked to cover. But I'll uh, I'll finish up on Taker and, and Michaels. Um, to me, it's the perfect match. Um, you know, it wasn't particularly well built. The the Hell in a Cell structure they didn't do a particularly good job of hyping the uh, you know, but the 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 idea that the the best way of describing this you know monstrosity of a structure is to say well there's no way in and there's no way out it's like well that's just a locked door um you know but they you know michael's for all of his faults and boy there are many uh is still a world-class performer and to a point that's why he put up with him um so is undertaker uh, and they sketched out what i believe to be the perfect match i don't think there's any faults lines in this match at all um, from you know, it's 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 an interesting comparison to a show that almost definitely did more buys, which is Hulk Hogan and and Roddy Piper the same month in WCW, who also did a giant cage match, um, which was balmy in some ways, but about one percent as good as this. Um, and you know, to me, Michael Sanderson got it right from the stuff with the cameraman going down to be able to get out the cage, the visuals of those two fighting on top, uh, getting back in, the debut of Kane. Uh, 
to me, this match had everything. Uh, Rory, as I will do for all three of you, uh, I'll give you a brief opportunity if you'd like to say anything else about any of the matches you weren't asked to cover, and then your vote for this category. Yeah, just briefly. Um, yeah, I've got two more that um, have been mentioned, but I just want to mention them. Eddie B. Ray, an absolute work-rate classic in a on a big-name pay-per-view. Between, as Dan said, it didn't really have a whole lot of build behind it, but they were allowed to just go out there and be the very best they can. And my God, did they ever do that. 13 minutes of supreme state-of-the-art high-tech action between two of the absolute very best with a feel-good finish, which is something I also care a lot about. And uh, HBK Taker was a WWF story-led match, the, the finest you could find anywhere. Michaels, I still think, is underrated as an in-ring storyteller. He played the part of asshole who people want to see The Undertaker kick the arse of for half an hour brilliantly in this brutality, big bump. The arrival of Kane was played superbly, and HBK should have won this one, unlike another match earlier in the year, and he did. But probably Austin is my match of the year. <laughs> Dan. How'd you go in there? Quite simply, Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at Hell in the Cell is the best match I've ever seen not just this year but ever seen and in a, a year which i think has been the best year for matches in terms of you know quality wise that we've seen since we started this project it has to be undertaker versus Shawn michaels for me eric bob i think you miss uh i think you you uh don't appreciate as much that the hell in a cell build i think was pretty good i mean you look at you look in August, and you at the. Oh, more, more about the more about the build to the the, the match stipulation the before I was getting. Yeah, yeah, because I, I just want to say that I think it was very impressive that the WWF was essentially able to commingle its top two storylines and come out of it and get two logical outcomes, or at least what t- should have been two logical outcomes, with Brett v. Sean and Undertaker versus Kane. Uh, that all said, Brett v. Austin, that is the best match of all time in my opinion. Yeah, this will have people talking. I'm gonna, I'm gonna side with Dan for once. Uh, I'm going to take her and Michaels. Uh, and, and yes, majority rule will take it. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, I might even tie it up actually. We've done that before. Um, two worthy, you know, all timer matches, you know, with this in, you know, there's a good argument these are two of the best matches ever. Um, any year we've covered any year full stop for, for any number of reasons but yes formally is a split tiebreaker vote Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels from September uh, was it September or no, October, October. We'll, uh, we'll take it right worker of the year Rory three choices and they are the three guys who really helped me pick WCW as promotion of the year Benoit Eddie and Dragon Benoit Guerrero Dragon. Dan. Eddie, Dragon, and Mysterio. Eric. Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, and Owen Hart. Yeah, it feels a bit like last year where we just said WCW Cruiserweight splitting up. Uh, I just have two. I've got Chris Benoit and I have the Ultimo Dragon. Um, uh, Eric, Owen Hart. Again, this is a this is a, a a bias towards me, but you look you look at Owen Hart through throughout the year, and uh, 
carried Bulldog in that tag team they had, and Owen was always the shining star in the in the tag matches in the first half of the year. And he carried Bulldog, who's not a great worker, but can have good matches with good workers in that match that Rory and I were so fond of back in February. And then you just look at the whole body of work throughout the year, and even – even, you know, I consider work, not necessarily work rate per se, but what happens between bell to bell. And you look at even at Survivor Series, which was a terrible show, and that I call it a segment. It was more of a segment than a match. But even that segment match with Steve Austin, which only lasted about six minutes, I think, um, Owen working very injured, as was Austin, still the psychology of that match was very good. Disqualify me, ref, ring in the bell, all that stuff. And Owen Hart just needs to be appreciated for the, the, the subtle things he does between bell to bell, even if that's not flips and jumps and leaps. He understands the psychology of wrestling better than most. Uh, Dad, were you all right, Mysterio? I was indeed, yes. Go ahead. Uh, he's just the guy who can do almost anything in the ring. Um, and if you're talking about worker of the year, and in terms of the guy who's had... You know, that makes me go, wow, when watching wrestling. No one comes close to Ray. Um, and as good as Benoit is, I just think that Ray's had more opportunities to have good matches in WWE this year than Benoit has. And it just makes me go, wow, more than Benoit. That's purely the only reason why he's on this list. Rory, Eddie Guerrero. Oh, too right. This man has got it all. And I intentionally missed him, excuse me, missed him out of the rising star list because he's already there. He's got it. I do worry about his ceiling, but this guy has got it all. He's supreme dick heel character work. And yet he's somebody who can not only do dazzling, amazing moves in the ring, he can do them and manage to stay in character. And that's a tough thing to do when you have a lot of WCW, maybe slightly more casual crowds who will pop for high-flying, amazing moves. Eddie can do all those, but he can still make people hate him. That is a great worker in my book. He's fantastic. Eric, did you know what a Christmas was? I did. Yeah, and, and I don't think we should. I don't think we should penalize Chris Benoit for being saddled uh, for being saddled with Kevin Sullivan for the first half of the year. When you're saddled with the guy who's booking the show, you don't really have a choice as to what you're going to do. And for all that said, some of those Chris Benoit Kevin Sullivan matches were pretty entertaining, especially for you know Chris Benoit to be dragging a guy who should have retired three years ago or more. Uh, through pretty good matches, and I talked about Bash at the Beach earlier, and go back and watch that hard uh, retirement match that they had, and that, that was pretty fun. Uh, and then you just look at the, the body of work. Again, much like the Harlem Heat, uh, you look at the matches on Nitro, the throwaway stuff that he did, the matches with Mongo and Jarrett and all that, and he was intermingled with all that, and the Horseman stuff, and just look at his body of work throughout the year, and I don't think the guy had a bad match all year, and you certainly can't say that about Rey Mysterio, who had that dross of a match with Conan at Halloween Havoc. And to a certain extent, I think Eddie Guerrero also had some matches this year, which will make you, you know, think twice about it. So while he's not going to get my vote necessarily, I think Chris Benoit had the most consistent year in terms of you turn this guy on on your television, and you're going to get at least a decent match. Yeah, um, I think if if we weren't picking on body of work and we were picking purely on ability, 
uh, it could be a clean sweep for Benoit. Maybe I, I don't want to necessarily speak for mm. everyone else, but um, you know the the thing that. The thing that is a asterisk next to Benoit this year, because he's certainly in contention for this award, uh, is that it's very difficult to point to a significant body of work, um, and, and, and largely or an outstanding match. Yes, um, which brings me to Ultimo Dragon. Um, to, to me, he's been the the most consistent, the best. Um, just the most watchable, the most crisp, the most innovative, the most diverse. And I think that's one of the things I've spoken a fair bit about Ultima Dragon this year, is that of all the guys that have come in that have wrestled styles in Mexico and Japan predominantly, Ultima Dragon's the guy that seems to have most quickly adjusted that style into something that suits a, a, an American slash North American audience. Um... To me, he's just been the best worker of the year. He's been a guy that's consistently put on excellent matches. Um, the, the Malenko one stands out, but there are others. Um, you know, and yeah, in, a, in amongst a really, really deep list in WCW, um, you know, as I say, if it was about who do I think the better wrestler is, I'd probably still give it to Chris Benoit. Um, but in terms of body of work, I'm, I'm struggling to go past the, Ultimo Dragon. Uh, a bit like last time, Dan, uh, any comments on any others and your overall vote? You know, I completely agree with you, Bob, on everything you just said about Ultimo Dragon. And he was locked in as my, nomina- my nomination here for the longest time. But then I actually thought about it and I thought, you know what? He's slowly sliding down the card. He is getting a little bit less pushed. And do I see him as a US title holder or feuding with Luger or, you know, these sorts of guys. And the all of these guys are talking about are basically in the same position, aren't they? Really? I know, I know Owen Hart's in the WWE, but the other guy, I thought all just are kind of floating mid-card acts. Oh yeah, right? but I'm saying, I'm not, this is not, I'm saying, could they move to the next level? And as great as he is, and amazing as he is, and honestly, he was locked in, but I just thought about it and I thought, Eddie Guerrero as this punchable heel with his greasy mother and the fact that he can get Eddie Sucks chance from basically Eddie's stable audience and crowd that he can go to. The, like, honestly, card saving matches he put on with Six and uh, Sold Out and Rey Mysterio at Halloween Havoc. And again, body of work. He's had great matches with Jericho, Alex Wright, Dragon, Malenko, all the usual suspects. I have to give Eddie Guerrero. Rory. Right, uh, the two guys I haven't talked about yet. Dragon was all, when he first came in towards the end of 1996, we were all wowed by the moves he could do. I still am every time I watch him wrestle, but now he has added classic North American babyface traits to his character. And that is a very important C word here. Character. I've said it a couple of times on these shows. Crowds just aren't into the things he can do but into the reasons why he does them, because he's a good guy, and that is a really hard thing to pull off. I do see where Dan's coming from. I don't see Dragon challenging for the world title anytime soon, but he's somebody you really want to keep around because he's got most of the whole lot, apart from the speaking skills. That's not his fault. Somebody whose speaking skills can be seen as his fault, Mr. Chris Benoit, the one black mark against his name. Otherwise, this is a person who... And, spoiler alert, it's the one reason though he's not actually going to win this award for me, is that he hasn't been put in there to have a sequence of great matches with great workers. He is, for me, he's where Bret Hart was in the WWF, 94-95. 
his role is to get good to great matches out of inferior workers. You know, he's in there with Sullivan. He's in there with a past his best Hennig. He's in there with Meng, who just lets punch in his chest, punch him in the chest for 15 minutes at Slamboree, and they get a great watchful match out of it. If you let Benoit loose and put him in the ring regularly on pay-per-view with the high echelon workers, then I think he absolutely walks this award. But as it is, I've got to the guy who, who can do it all and has shown he can do it all, and that is Eddie Guerrero. Eric. He's got character, psychology, North American style, skill, and potential. Eddie Guerrero. Well, I'm sticking with Dragon, but uh, it's a bit futile at this point. So Eddie Guerrero wins Art Worker of the Year. And finally, wrestler slash, or just MVP, really, the most valuable player, uh, the overall performer of the year. Eric, I only, I only have two, Steve Austin and Bret Hart. Dan? I have Diamond Dallas Page, Scott Hall, and Steve Austin. And Steve Austin. Rory? And I have the exact same three as our friend Mr. Wine here. Page, Hall, and Austin. Well, I didn't vote for Scott Hall. Um, Jesus. Which, which, which may come as a surprise. Um, I nominated Steve Austin, and I'm pretty surprised that nobody nominated Sting. Um, and I'll start. Uh, yeah, it's it's a weird one to nominate a guy that wrestled one match um, that said maybe two sentences, if he did say anything at all. Um, but to me, one of the... I think the single big story of the year, and I think it kind of evaluates... Everything that, you know, and I, you can tie Austin into this too, is that if you want to talk about certainly two guys I nominated, I'd argue that, that the two big rising star names in the promotion, in their respective promotions this year, in terms of if we're going to nominate one from each side, for me it'd be Austin and Sting. Austin's got over, without really wrestling, I know he had that great match against Bret Hart, and I know he wrestled a bit throughout the summer, but after getting injured... He didn't really wrestle anything of any note since August. And I'd argue the things that he got over pre-March, a bit of it would have been Brett in, in November 96, but a lot of it was his segments. Austin seemed to get more popular without appearing much, as in he'd turn up his son or someone and he'd fuck off. Sting was probably the MVP of WCW. Didn't wrestle, didn't talk. Turned up occasionally. And yet, he was their most important act. He was the guy holding it all together, really. It didn't really work without him. Um, and yeah, t- to me, I'm, yeah, kind of be quite surprised it didn't make anyone's list. Uh, Rory, I'll come to you on, uh, Diamond Dallas Page. Yeah. Every man. Diamond Dallas Page, when I see him up there, he's me in that ring. Somebody who got into this business pretty much by accident, by just having to have a, a nightclub in the right place. Knowing the odd bouncer, and living next to Eric Bischoff doesn't harm matters too much, I guess. Uh, when he's in that ring, he knows he's not the best. He wouldn't pretend to be the best. But my God, does he give it that best? And that exudes through even the very worst of WCW programming. I know I'm not going to get five stars out of him, but when I have to sit through another 20-minute Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff promo, 
like it doesn't matter, I'm going to have a four-minute Diamond Dallas Page match coming up next, and he is going to blast somebody with a diamond cutter, and the crowd are going to go mad, and he's going to do that stand-back celebration, he's going to raise his hands hands to the sky, and I'm going to think, yeah, these are the moments that pro wrestling is about. And he is just, he's not a good guy, but he is a good guy. And that is the sort of thing that means most valuable player. At a time where being a good guy isn't cool anymore, and Diamond Dallas Page isn't cool. But somehow he makes it work, and he does it every week consistently. That's the key thing. Dan, DDP? Just on an objective level about what you look for in terms of an amazing all-round wrestler, he's he's a pretty good talker, as an enthusiastic talker, as he gets the crowd invested in what he says. He's had good matches. He's He managed to get Kurt Henning towards the best match in WCW probably this year. Um, he's been in the feud of the year, potentially, but in WCW with Randy Savage in terms of in-ring matches. Um, and in terms of over... He is the, probably the first guy that WCW have got over organically since the big boys. They since the, the Turner money came in, you know, since Savage and Hogan and Nash and Hall have come in. He is the only guy that has really captured the imagination of their audience to such a degree that they can't keep him out of the spotlight. And if I can talk for Dell, I would mention Glacier in that category. Yes, yeah, sorry, Dell. Should have that. Um, he is like a perfect moment wrestler. You know, the diamond cutter is such a bang move that it just makes you pop. He's been in two of our nominated segments of the year with the turning on the NWO and then the Parker Savage thing. So just in terms of just pure what makes a great wrestler have an amazing year, Paige ticks all the boxes. Eric Bret Hart. We've been pretty critical of Bret Hart on this show this year, Bob, but I I question everybody to take Bret Hart out of the WWF in 1997 and tell me what you're left with. I won't be long here, but he started the Royal Rumble back in January, and he was the foil for Austin. He was the foil for Austin again at the Final Four, the subsequent Raw. He put Austin – he essentially got Austin over to the nth degree at WrestleMania – he was then involved in the hottest angle of the summer with the U.S. versus Canada angle, which culminated in our show of the year, Canadian Stampede. He was integrated into the Shawn Michaels-Undertaker feud, Shawn Michaels-Bret Hart feud at SummerSlam. And all that culminated with the most controversial show in wrestling history at the Survivor Series. Meanwhile, you look behind the scenes, and this guy is uh, – he's he's – you know, uh, he's just the most important wrestler in 1997, in my opinion, both because of how integrated he was on screen in the WWF and behind the scenes as well. He wasn't necessarily the best worker, the best talker, or the best wrestler of 1997. But if you look at all of his stat categories, you know, if this was a video game and you look at all of his stat categories, he's got the highest total, I think, because you can't have WWF in 1997. And we've been very appreciative of the WWF in 1997 without Bret Hart. He was woven into every major storyline they had. What is Bret Hart out of 100 as a talker in those games? Well, and that's the thing, Bob. You have to look at it, and Bret Hart is not a great talker per se, but he does. He can cut great promos. You look at the This Is Bullshit promo before Mania 13. You look at some of the work that he did with Shawn Michaels where he at least held his own. And it's one of those things where – he, he's more than the sum of his parts. 
and he he more than held up his own against Shawn Michaels, against The Undertaker, against Steve Austin, and he was interwoven without that. You take him out of the WWF in 1997, and you're left with a vortex, a black hole of a, of a spot that Bret Hart filled, and he played his role perfectly. Uh, Eric, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Scott Hall? Oh, I don't think I nominated. I, did, I certainly didn't nominate Scott Hall. You didn't? I got I got two and I didn't. Roy, did you? I did indeed. Sound the right, bugles. Yeah, Scott Hall. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, c- come on, Bob. What what can't you see in Scott Hall? Come on. What, 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 what has he done this year? I mean, I mean, he, I can't, I can't he, he won it in '96 in my heart, right? So you know, to to me, this is as much the process. No, I'm just interested. To me, like he didn't have as good a year as he did last year. Um, oh, that's not to. That's not to necessarily say that, you know, as I say, he should have won last year and he didn't. Um, but yes, in part because to me, he wasn't as impressive as Sting or Steve Austin. I didn't even bother on my game. Um, not that, not that I am not a fan of Scott Hall. We'll go, Rory. Uh, uh, take I think, the I think he had a uh, much better year. In fairness, he had a lot more of a year, unless you count his, uh, his issues for a month or so, a few months ago. But yes, he is just again that big, see, I keep bringing up that word, but it's so important week to week programming these days. Consistency. When he's called upon, to do a five-minute promo, putting over the NWO, he'll give you a good one. When he has to get in the ring on a Nitro main event for eight or nine minutes before the inevitable disqualification, he'll give you a good one. When he's in there for 50 minutes on a pay-per-view, he'll give you a good one. He's always there. He's just in the red zone all the time. He's never a 10, in my estimation, but he's never, ever anywhere close to a zero. Or even these days, a five. He is solid in the most positive way I can use the word solid. He's dependable most of the time, if you get what I'm saying. If you can sort out the few issues he has behind the scenes, then I can really see a world title run for this guy, possibly even as early as his shot in February. And you know what? He deserves it. Yeah. Um, you know, it kind of... It does tell, but I'll say a bit of Scott Hall. I've earned the right. Um, it, it does tail in a little bit to, um, you know, what we're talking about in terms of promo of the year. Um, he's he's kind of holding the NWO together in a way. Like, it says a lot that Hulk Hogan, who I believe at one point in the 80s was regarded as one of the best promos in the world, is basically the only way Hulk Hogan can get any kind of reaction in 1997 is to borrow Scott Hall's lines. Um, you know, that's a, that's noteworthy. Nothing else, Dan, take up Scott Hall? Yeah, I went to my script from earlier, I'll get, get that again. Um, <laughs> it, you know, as much as I loved Cruiserweight Wrestling, as much as I love DDP, what has been drawing in the casual audiences for WCW this year is the NWO. Um, who is the best, who is the MVP of the, N, of the NWO? It's Scott Hall promos he holds it together he gets the crowd interested and crucially which gets him ahead of sting in my opinion is he's actually wrestled you know as as and delivered in the ring he puts on good matches you know in comparison to hall and and, um hogan and and nash and he is willing to put guys over i can recall a very weird roll-up victory he lost against chris jericho nothing's been built to that obviously but uh it gives me hope that this he isn't as good he isn't going to be as um, egocentric as you know Hogan definitely is right now and Nash seems to be developing so I've just put him down here as, as like the de facto award for NWO 
because he is the MVP of the NWO. Didn't Hall lose to Silver King this year? He probably lost to a lot of guys this year, didn't he? Um, yeah, noteworthy point, if nothing else. Oh, right, let's go around the table. Steve Austin, Rory. Steve Austin. There, there you go. We've talked about Austin so much on this particular show already. We've talked about him so much this year. He's dominated everything from start to finish when he's been in the ring, when he's been out injured, supposedly out injured. No, still on television every week, still tearing it up. And now he has finally come back. Everything has gone through him and he's carried it. It's just been a pure conductor of electricity. It's just so alive when he is on my television screen, no matter what he is doing. And like I said about when I nominated him for the promo, I don't even think he's trying. He's just being himself and he's doing everything that's been asked of him. And he is the living embodiment of where the WWF now seems to be taking their product based on what Vince McMahon said in that to-camera promo a couple of weeks ago on Raw. Austin is the figurehead of that, and he fits it perfectly. And just get the world title on this guy, stat. Eric? Yeah, it's hard to argue against Steve Austin being the MVP of North American Pro Wrestling in 1997. And, yeah, you look, he's, like I said, Bret Hart's been woven into every relevant storyline, but Steve Austin's been interwoven in every relevant thing we've really talked about today. Uh, one of the best matches of the year, best talker of the year, one of the best promos of the year, uh, overall, you know, overall top guy. And it's really interesting because it is a lot like Sting in that he hasn't had a consistent match. He hasn't had a consistent schedule where he's been wrestling for really the latter half of the year, really since, uh, SummerSlam, but even then, it seems like Steve Austin wasn't consistently in the ring. Um, and you really look at the difference between Austin and Sting over the last four to six months, and you can kind of see how when one guy is allowed to connect with the audience and allowed to uh, be himself and be, you know, funny, but be an ass kicker, but be serious, and everybody knows he's a good wrestler, and then when they put him in the ring, they protect him. And they put him with guys like Owen Hart, who even when injured, can can give him a good match. And it's just hard to argue that this guy is, is not the MVP because there's just everything that's happened this year. I mean, for Christ's sake, I didn't even talk about him and McMahon and him stunning th- his way through the, the on-screen authority figures and the backstage staff. And he won the Royal Rumble and he was in the best. I mean, it's... It's hard to, to really compile a, a, a list of guys who have had better years in pro wrestling than Steve Austin has had in 1997, especially considering he's been dealing with a career-threatening injury for the last quarter of the year. Dan, any more? No, I think Eric's just, just summed up everything perfectly. It's, it's incredibly hard to come up with anything like to say about Austin, which hasn't already been said in the last two minutes and also for the rest of the show. He is just must-watch TV. Well, I'm voting for Sting. Rory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tempted to vote for Hall now. That's got to be Austin. Eric. Austin, Brett, a close second. Dan. Austin, Austin, Austin. 
Not for the first time, we can't consider it in, but yes, Steve Austin, the MVP of 997. That'll wrap up this month's show. That'll wrap up the year as well. Uh, God knows how many episodes we've done, a lot. Uh, big thank you to everyone that's appeared on, on all these shows this year. And uh, to, Firstly, to Dan Welling today. Dan, thank you very much. No problem, guys. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Dan, well, where can people find you on Twitter? At Daniel886. Rory, Matt Namara, Rory, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been fun making some enemies out there today. Certainly has. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Yes, scream abuse at me for my nominations and awards at RawsDM on Twitter. R O R S D M. And to Eric Lansham, Eric, thank you very much for giving up uh, an afternoon to uh, discuss some awards with us. Yeah, happy to do it. Uh, Eric, where can you be found on Twitter? Direct all your agreement to at Modern Day Lawyer. <laughs> Uh, wrap up this show this year everything else firstly we're on Patreon for five bucks a month if you enjoy what you hear like to say thank you you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20RS links in the podcast description and on our website five other volumes for you this month volume number one takes in Starcade and everything regarding that volume number two go to the WWF looking in your house to Generation X volume number three to ECW volume four for USC Japan and volume number five for our end of year review uh, yes we've got I don't know how many shows this year a lot uh, more to come next next year uh 1998 whatever that will hold uh but thank you for joining us for this show thank you for joining us this month thank you for joining us for this year and until 1998 1998 i've been bob bamba this has been 1997 of the wrestling 20 years ago podcast and until next time goodbye <laughs>